Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show of the century. Welcome to the Yu Yu Haku Show, <laughs> the number one podcast in the land. I think we just got a hijacked. <laughs> Anyways, hello and welcome to the second episode of the Yu Yu Haku Show. Uh, last time, we discussed juvenile delinquent Yusuke Yurimashi's noble sacrifice to say. Mm, let me start that over. I just realized I didn't describe what the fuck the show's about. What is the show about? You know, the show is actually a series rewatch of the anime Yu Yu Hakusho from 1992. Came to America in about 2001, 2002? I forget off the top of my head. But anyways, welcome. So, last time on the Yu Yu Hakusho, we discussed juvenile delinquent Yusuke Yurameshi's noble sacrifice to save the life of a child in his trial by literal fire and subsequent resurrection by the bureaucracy of the Buddhist spirit world. Now, indebted to them, he will act as their detective and exe- uh, executor. How, how does anyone pronounce that word? Executor? Pokemon? Exe- yeah. All no, right. it's not executor. Uh, executor in the living world. But, before we get to the new episodes, 6, 7, and 8, we'll cover the director of the anime and writer of the manga af- uh, before our episode discussion. And who is that said manga, mangaka, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, also, yeah. Okay, we got Megan's approval, so it's it's real now. Julio, we're going to talk about the director first, right? Oh, uh, yeah, well, let's talk about the director, because frankly, I don't know that much about him after doing a decent amount of research, mostly because uh, he's, one, not as famous as uh, the writer of the manga, and two, most of the information I could find was in Japanese, and I don't trust Google Translate too much, so I didn't want to read too far into a lot of what it said. Uh, so the guy's name is Noriyuki Abe. Uh, he was born in 1961. Uh, but as I said, uh, I couldn't find too much about him besides, uh, one surprising thing. The dude is half Filipino, which mm. Filipino, half Japanese people exist in Japan, but like they're quite rare. So I'm, I'd be curious to read his biography if I could ever find it and find out about his parents, because that's uh, an interesting thing to be happening in the sixties. So, oh, I guess, yeah, in the sixties for sure. Yeah. So a lot of people... I found out recently, or according to the people I met in Japan, uh, a lot of people don't like talking about the fact they're half. Because yep. there's the word is called halfu, which really just means half. Like, you're not fully Japanese. You're really... I don't know. Anyway. That's really messed up, though, really? It is. It's called halfu. Like, there's a there's a push recently to be, like, double or double. I mean, I'm saying all these words so wrong. But uh, essentially, like, you're two of things. You're not, like, half of one. Like, you're not half of a person, essentially. Because mm-hmm. the implication of halfu means you're lesser. Uh, so probably, probably why that wasn't a really known fact is because in Japan, it's especially probably in the sixties, you'd be considered a lot lesser if you were half of anything other than Japanese. That's really messed up. Mm. I think, yeah, Japan has historically had like form of like pseudo open xenophobia, but like it functions differently than it would in the West. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying like it is therefore okay, but more like the way that it affects people's lives is different. People can often get away with trying to pass rather than like being uh, actively suppressed for other things, but it still leads to people retreating from other identities because people want to identify so strongly with just quote unquote being normal. Hmm. I guess we can. I, I, it kind of reflects in sort of the West as well, I'm a little bit just the the whole sort of idea of sort of uh, conglomerating to an American. Like one of the things. Oh yeah, like the old ideal of assimilation. I think it's yeah. even. I think it's even more so than that, yeah, because instead of just like, oh, if you accept these cultural practices, you will be one of us, it is, not only do you have to accept these cultural practices, you have to actively make people forget that you are 
something else. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's another level. Yeah, because when my when my uh, great grandma came over from Portugal, she uh, she told the kids no Portuguese, English only, yeah. and sort of pushed that Americanized culture on them. And that's how a lot of us grew up. Like I grew up that way too. Yeah, same mm-hmm. here. But like, think we were allowed to be Filipino though in our own homes, in public. Yeah, well, it's like anything. I feel like with a lot of collectivist cultures, especially with Asia specifically, mm-hmm. where it's largely like largely homogenous populations. Just anyone who doesn't come from that community, given the history of Japan, it's I don't know. It's I'm not gonna say it's right because uh, it's an interesting. It's an it's it's interesting. It's, interest, it's just interesting. And coming from a Western perspective, we can pass as much either judgment mm-hmm. or have our own two cents on the matter, mm-hmm. but really the people who can speak about it the most would be people coming from there. Mm-hmm. But hey, just a few years ago, there was a Miss Japan who was biracially yeah. half Japanese, half African American, so... They're making progress, yeah, for sure. exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always a good thing, right? I mean, we're all, we all try to move forward to a better, better, I guess world, I guess? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I definitely. think there are definitely actively uh, people who are trying to uh, move past, like, you know, some of the old stigmas uh, about that, and you know, you can, you for yourself uh, listeners can, like, look, you know, sort of into history as to why things like this occurred, um, but it has a lot to do with Japan's politically isolationist history and, like, the ramifications and echoes of that across centuries. I don't think any of us are qualified enough to talk about that, but uh, <laughs> well, I mean, do some independent yourself, research. Joe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, please, please tell me about how the Christianization of Japan in the 1500s led to a distrust of foreigners. All right. Yeah. Hold on a second. Let me. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, anyway. Anyways. Uh, so yeah, that's about as much as that's as much as about as much as we know about uh, Noriyuki Abe. Uh, I guess like one thing that is interesting, you can look up his you know credits uh, online, but he has worked on. A shit ton of stuff. I will summarize it by saying that, uh, you know, working with Studio Piro, which is the animation studio in Japan, uh, worked on things like, uh, off the top of my head, they worked on some major stuff, uh, including Flame of Rekka, they worked on uh, Urusei Yatsura, uh, they worked on your favorite shonen shows, they probably worked on at some point. Um, I forget. With the exception of, like, say, Dragon Ball, but other stuff you'll definitely recognize. So, yeah, moving on to uh, the author of the manga, uh, Yoshihiro Tagashi. Uh, he, he was born in uh, on April 27th in 1966 in uh, Shinjo, uh, Yamagata province. Uh, it's a city, I mean, as far as I can tell, it's a city in a river basin known mostly for a UNESCO-noted festival. Otherwise, it's not really, like, a big deal to be from there. But uh, the dude started uh, drawing manga in uh, second grade and joined his high school fine arts club, uh, going on to study education at uh, Yamagata University. And uh, from there, he wrote his first professional manga in 1985 at the age of 20, uh, named, uh, I'm probably going to totally mispronounce this, uh, Butobi Straight, uh, winning the uh, Tezuka Award for New Mangaka, aka Manga Authors. Uh, from what little I could tell about it, it's about a delinquent who plays baseball and someone tries to frame him to get him kicked out of the school or team. I'm not sure. Sounds boy, a does, lot yeah, like... I was going to say, boy, does that sound familiar. Yeah, it sounds really <laughs> familiar. It's very weird. But he followed this up uh, with uh, Jura no Miduki. Uh, hey, Megan, do you want to pronounce some of these names? Van, uh, Jura no 
Miduki. Yeah, Wait, what line is that on? I can't see it. My Japanese is so off now, so you're probably better than I am. No yeah, worries. Yeah, Jura no Miu... Miduki. Yeah, Miduki. Miduki. Okay, <laughs> all right. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying my best, you guys. So it's a it's a manga about uh, someone with a spirit sword like thing who fights an ancient race of monsters. Uh, I have a question mark there because this was coming out of Google Translate and I couldn't actually find the manga itself as opposed to some of the later ones. Was this not released in English at all? No, it's not. It's very early and like a lot of like 80s stuff was never released in the States unless it was like the biggest shit on the planet. Like Dragon Ball's released in the States because everyone loves Z. It's Dragon Ball. I yeah, know. basically. But uh, it won an honorable mention uh, for the Shueisha uh, Award for that year. Uh, but so... Uh, Togashi's uh, first popular multi-volume manga, uh, Tendo Shawaru Cupid, is a romantic comedy about an innocent 15-year-old boy who lives at home with his four half-sisters and his Yakuza playboy dad. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I actually read the Where first issue of this. It gets weirder. Oh, no. So his father hires a literal devil woman to show him the pleasures of the flesh and make him follow his, his father's perverted and criminal footsteps. The succubus was surprisingly curvy for the era and, and Japan. It's it's interesting if you go back and look at it. Like people would you know catch it with hashtag thick or something like that. Uh, but Ew. do you yeah. have any pictures? Just, uh, just for you know, research. Reference, yeah, research. Yeah, reference purpose. I need Weird. to yeah get a couple of those. Was it yeah. like Jessica Rabbit esque proportions? It wasn't like... Jessica Rabbit esque, but it was still like pretty excessive for like 80s Japan I was just yeah. like wow because like Ooh. if you look at like the pop idols of the time they were like mostly stick thin yeah. so it's it's interesting seeing the contrast I guess maybe because she's like a lascivious literal devil yeah. uh, they kind of you know went beyond that but what, what year did this come out? Uh, scroll back up <laughs> <laughs> you know I didn't write but I'm gonna guess 87 around that era because right after that uh, he got his start in the industry at large, working in Shonen Jump uh, in 1989, uh, doing short stories before anything else. I gotcha. Uh, I was just trying to see, what year did uh, did Baby Out Back come out? I think it's unrelated. 94. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 94, okay. Yeah. Really? I thought it was the 80s. I'm actually just out. curious, when did Japan start drawing, at least with the anime, like the big boob type always? figures? No, that, that's no, actually not always. If you oh, go really? back and look at... Well... So it was rarer, and it depended what the subject matter was and who was being portrayed. Because if you go back to the 70s and look at Lupin the Third, which is like an international cast, yeah. then What's like, it? you know, Fujiko, even though yeah. she's Japanese, like has like a more curvy figure. But if you look at other shows, people were not like that as much. Yeah, that actually makes sense because I was watching Yuri Yatsura. Who do I say Yatsura? Yuri Yatsura. And yeah, she's like, you know, you know, kind of plain, I guess. Well, not, you know, not in the way you'd see, like, normal. Like, no, like, if, I'm you, trying, saw, I'm trying to, if you saw a woman like that in real life, I'd be like, wow, damn. But if you see that in anime, you're like, oh, okay, she fits in. Yeah, no, that's, sorry, that's, uh, that's what I sort of meant. I, I, I think that's, to, yeah, I was like. I tried I to wear that to not sound mess, not sound kind of am, but. Titties! Uh, I try my best. She's, you know, best. just I'm wearing, sorry, like, a tiger skin kilt. It's it's good times. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, like, you see, like, in, mo like, usual in modern anime stuff. But anyway. Yeah, let's move on. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so uh, from there, after working on a couple short stories for Shonen Jump in 89, uh, from 1990 to 1994, he worked on Yu, Yu Yu Hakusho, the uh, you know, manga that this uh, anime is based on. Previously, he had worked on something called Occult Tante Den, uh, which means occult detective. Uh, maybe occult detective story? I might have mistranslated that. 
uh, which gave him the desire to work on paranormal investigation stuff, because that was kind of what that was about. I think that was a bit darker than the early parts of Yu Hakusho, but maybe not as thematically dark as later parts of the series. But uh, while working on Yu Hakusho, he was originally going to name it uh, Yu Yu Ki, which would mean Poltergeist Chronicles, which would also be a pun on Sayuki, which is uh, Journey of the West in Japanese, Journey of the West being the tale that Dragon Ball is based on, uh, you know, the, the Monkey King stuff. Everything's based off of, of a journey to the West. I swear. It's. I mean, it's like part every of the anime, Asian literary canon, basically. Like every like every anime I've watched, it's somehow influenced by Journey to the West. It's really weird. No, it, Journey to the West is not only big in East Asia, but also Southeast Asia, and in some ways South Asia. If you look at uh, India, they're one of the big epics of India, the Ramayana. Is not Journey to the West, but it shares a lot of the same stories because one of the characters is shared between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hanuman, who is a monkey god and a great warrior in uh, Hindu culture, is actually the Monkey King. It's like the same dude across cultures, but he's subservient mm-hmm. to the god Rama in there, uh, and therefore like helps in Rama's army in his fight against. Uh, I think the guy's name is Ravana. Uh, versus in Journey of the West, where he becomes subservient to uh, uh, the monk who he goes on his journey to India to, you know, get the Buddhist sutras. But yeah, that's kind of the background on that. But the reason he didn't name it Yuyuki is because uh, apparently there was another popular manga at the time that had a very similar title, so to avoid brand confusion, he uh, changed the Chronicles part to Report, making it Poltergeist Report or Yu Yu Hakusho. Uh, so... He made the main character's names by skimming a kanji dictionary. I'm not making this up. <laughs> Apparently, Yusuke is sort of a pun on rice breakfast. Huh. And uh, Kuwabara is a combination... Kazuma Kuwabara is a combination of two Japanese pro basketball players of the time. Uh, additionally, it kind of <laughs> gave cool symbolism because uh, in Japan, the mulberry tree, which uh, is what Kuwabara uh, means is, like, sort of seen as a symbol of, like, moral uprightness and, uh, you know, determination. And, uh, also warding off lightning strikes, but that's a tale for another time that surprisingly does get used during the series. Uh, he and Kurama apparently just jumped out at him. He, he had no reason for naming them. He's just like, these are some sick-ass names. <laughs> Did you actually see the, the image on, uh, I think it was posted, the basketball player that, that looks just like Kurabara? Oh, yeah, what's his name? Uh, is it, oh, wait, 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 the redhead dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody posted it. Uh, Griffin? And, Griffin? Yeah, is it Blake? Uh, Blake Griffin. Is that it? I, I don't know Griffin. basketball, for the record. I do not like sports. But we'll edit it in you post. You can't punch people in. But yeah, like, <laughs> I just think, I just think that was kind of, that's kind of funny you mentioned that, so it like comes full circle almost. Dude, I saw a dude at... <laughs> uh, weird personal story, but I was at a club and I saw a dude who looked just like Blake Griffin and Kuwabara, and I was like, that's fucking weird. And then he got in a fight with a dude, and I'm like, I guess that's in character. <laughs> and then I, I just left the club because I'm like, I don't want to be here right now. You should have grabbed him, but the show would be like, Yarrow! No, and just like, go and fight it. with him. No, no, I was you like, just gotten... <laughs> no, I was like, I don't want Dude, any, punch, like, I don't want any part of this, so I, I definitely just left. Uh, but so I, I just want to say it's interesting that he just randomly chose Kie and Karama because I always read and seen that both Kie and Karama are mountains in Japan that have some sort of like folklore behind them. So. That's definitely possible. Again, I was going off of Google translated Japanese sources, so like I could have missed some detail. But one thing that sort of makes me wonder about whether that's true of both of them or just Kurama is that while Hiei, that there is a Mount Hiei, 
Uh, he was supposed to kind of be a temporary character, as you're uh, aware. Like, he was supposed to be a monster of the week, and then they ended up uh, making him a recurring character, as opposed to Kurama, who was always intended to be, like, a main character of the show. But that's kind of, you know, jumping into it. Uh, we can talk more about that later. But uh, apparently the uh, tonal and subject matter shift of the show from the beginning to the dark tournament art was pre-planned, which was something that was actually surprising to me. Like, on reading that, I was kind of blown away because it always, at the t on seeing it before, it always struck me as like, this shit just happened, I guess. But according to him, like, that shift was planned. The, uh, the next saga after that, the Chapter Black, that was not planned, and it was just kind of where he was going. Yeah, no. No, Chapter Black is great, but I think it was like, like Evangelion, it was the product of someone being really, like, overworked and depressed. So, uh, yeah. Uh, is, it, is that in terms of Evangelion the whole thing or just the last two episodes? Uh, no, the whole thing of Evangelion is actually sort of an allegory and like him dealing with his depression. Oh, interesting. I yeah. heard, I was taking a pop culture class one time and I heard the writer of Evangelion actually hates like anime. So, or, like, yes and no. It. I think it dislikes where it was going he also dislikes what happened to the fandom of his show. That, yeah, that too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, after episode 24 and 25, I mean, I don't know if you guys know, but in the end of Evangelion, all those letters are actually hate letters he got from the, the last two episodes of that show. It's like saying, bastard, I hope you die, and, you know, you F this up, and I just thought that was kind of it's really It's a great funny. community. Y'all should really get into Evangelion. <laughs> yeah, def, I actually mean... I've never seen it. It's, it's great. Weirdly enough. Um, you should watch it, like, when you're... At rock bottom, it's a really good time to watch that show. Oh man, it's 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 so cool just to watch like two episodes a night. It has a really cool vibe. Until you get to the last two episodes, and you're like, ah, I guess I'm sitting in a chair too. Weird parallels. Yeah, it's really interesting. Really, really interesting show. I love the vibes of it. I it's it is very good, but it's easy to see how the show's popular appeal got misunderstood because mm -hmm. the guy was clearly like, so uh, the guy who made Evangelion was very clearly criticizing the way people latched onto characters and the ascription of, like, uh, good traits to people who are clearly flawed and really fucked up. Mm -hmm. And so he made these people terrible, but people fell in love for them, fell in love with them for the obvious reasons, opposed to the analysis he was trying to put onto them. It's very weird. Like, ahead of his time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Like, Evangelion's, like, defined, like, anime in, like, the late 90s. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyways, not about Evangelion. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I mean, telling cast next week. <laughs> yep. In uh, 1995, uh, Tagashi created the sci-fi comedy Level E about an alien living in the human world. Uh, I have not read this. I've heard it's actually pretty funny, but uh, whenever I saw the covers, I always thought it was like a horror manga because like, it shows this person who looks... Something about them seems off, and I now know it's because they're an alien who's trying to be friendly but doesn't understand humans, <laughs> but I thought it was like someone who was going to fucking eat someone. <laughs> But it, it turns out that was wrong. Uh, after that, they made Hunter Hunter, which is spelled Hunter x Hunter, but is pronounced officially Hunter Hunter. Uh, started in 1998 and may or not be his most popular, uh, may or may not be his most popular series. It is still going, and by going, I mean getting on random hiatuses for years and then coming back. It's the Berserk of not Berserk, uh, except it's a good anime. I, oh yeah! I love Hunter. I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I need to watch it. Watch. Uh, Maybe, yo, on, let's let's fucking watch it for this show. Once we're done with you, Hunter show. We do we do Hunter X cast. That's a shit joke. I'm sorry, guys. I don't, uh, I don't get, I don't, I don't get, I don't get yeah. these. <laughs> I'm fired. Uh, bye, guys. Last episode I'm on. Good shit. <laughs> we pay each other. Like, yep, <laughs> that's that's how it goes. It's just a circular trade. It's very weird. 
Uh, no one's making money on this. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm selling the rights now. But yeah, we're on uh, Tagashi's personal life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's a big fan of the occult and horror with uh, Ghost Actress and Dawn of the Dead as his favorite movies. Good taste. He enjoys board game video games, uh, which I'm really hoping doesn't mean Mario Party, but in my heart of hearts, I think it means Mario Party. Like civilization instead, but... Well, I was hoping it'd be like Fortune Street or some shit like that, but it's it's probably Mario I don't know, he could, he could be a, turn out to be a badass uh, Blood Bowl player. He's really into Cold Step Saga. Uh, yeah, no, that, that was a guess on that part. Um, so he also really likes bowling with his family, sports, and puzzle video games. So yeah. I'm guessing, I think, that means falling block style puzzle games. The reason I think that is because in the third saga of Yu Hakusho, a falling block puzzle game becomes a surprisingly big part of the plot. Um, like one of the biggest inflection points in the entire series for some reason. Uh, but he's ve- very influenced by H.R. Geiger, uh, or H.R. Giger, I think is technically how it's pronounced. Are, are you guys aware of uh, Giger? Never heard he of him. He had some great work. Right. I think, didn't he influence, uh, I think, was it Aliens or another movie? He did the designs for Aliens. And that's what yeah. it was, because I Which remember. is why all the aliens are like, hey, what if I just combined a bunch of penises and vaginas? Great, great movie, though, we had to say. Best so, movie I've ever what watched. What is this, like, original works? Is, was it pretty much doing the alien design? Yeah, he also has a bunch of... Like, he was also just did, like... I guess, like, art for art's sake as well. So you can oh. get weird prints of him just like, oh, oh, it's a female form, but she, like, has a chainsaw for a hand dick, I guess. H.R. Geiger looks a little... Is that guy still alive? I'm uh, no, sure he, he, died. he died recently in a very weird way, actually. Oh, I didn't know he, like, passed away recently. No, and according to all accounts, he's a he was a very nice guy. He was just... Very weird. Um, his art's all really geniuses cool. are weird. Yeah, his his art is really cool, but it's also terrifying. But if you see parts of the later oh. parts of Yu Hakusho, you definitely just see random influences of Giger. Like the one of the tournament stadiums is just like, oh, that's an alien pod, and just like shit like that. Oh. Like, yeah, you'll you'll notice puts it. puts everything yeah. in perspective. It's like, why does this look like garlic plus like an anus? Oh, HR Giger. Garlic <laughs> anus. HR Giger. Yeah. Let's be our new hashtag uh, or episode nope. name. Oh, HR Giger or the garlic part? Garlic anus. No, just garlic. Garlic anus? That's, uh, that's my password for my Wi-Fi. Y'all know now. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> but uh, in addition to that, uh, he's good friends with um, Masashi uh, Kishimoto of Naruto fame and is exp- uh, is explicitly an influence on Rurouni Kenshin's uh, Nobuhiro Watsuki. And uh, Pink Hanamori. I don't remember who that is, but it was just mentioned everywhere. So... Uh, his younger brother is also a mangaka, but is much less famous and apparently did a bunch of, like, aero dojins, so, like, Aww. hentai stuff. Hey, yo, wait, maybe I have some. Hey, you gotta make your loving somehow. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I'm sure he has a like, cult following Like, somewhere. BL stuff, or, like... Yeah. I don't think it's BL stuff. I think it's, like, hardcore, like, straight stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I, I haven't looked into it. Maybe that will be an episode of this show. Um, uh, on the note of his uh, marriage... So that, uh, that made us uh, especially explicit. I'm going to mark that on there. Not. Uh, on a note of his uh, marriage with uh, Naoko Takauchi, who is the creator of Sailor Moon, uh, they were married in 1999, but were introduced at a party in 1997 by uh, mangaka Kazushi Hagiwara, the creator of Bastard. Uh, Takeuchi remembers it slightly differently, stating that Megumi Ogata of... You know, Kurama and Sailor Uranus and Cardcaptor's UA fame uh, arranged their meeting. Uh, Takeuchi helped him with the screen toning of Hunter x Hunter Volume 1, but quit due to the demanding nature of the schedule and her own work. 
They have a son who was born in 2001, nicknamed uh, Petit Oji, a.k.a. Little Prince. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and in uh, 2009, had a child, the gender of whom they have not disclosed. So I guess they're pretty private about their lives, even though they're both two of the most famous people in Japan. Sense. I mean, you want them to go to school, you don't want to be bugged. Hey, can I get an autograph for... Uh, from your dad, or can you get an autograph from your mom? But see, I, I, I feel it wouldn't be the ladies, though. I feel it wouldn't be the kids who would be asking. I feel at this point it'd be their parents. Oh, that makes sense. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Based on like the generational gap, they'd be like, "Yo, can I? Can you ask your friend? You your know, teacher, whatever." Teachers like, like, uh, here, can you sign the ceiling? You know, it's kind of interesting. Just kind of a random offshoot, but like things that are really big here, like certain animes that are super big here. As big in Japan as oh, I yeah. ever think they were. Like, which, like, which are you thinking of? I'm thinking of, like, I don't remember what it was. I mean, Full Metal Alchemist was pretty big. Yeah, I was just saying, Full Metal I could not say, I could not say the, the, like, the actual Japanese title. Like, they, it's a long title. Hagane no Rekunjutsushi? Yep, couldn't say it. I couldn't, I couldn't remember it, but, uh, I can't remember, but I just, I'm thinking, like, maybe Yu Hakusho was that big in Japan at the time. Yeah, it just, it hasn't stayed as popular the way like Dragon Ball Z has because like they tread similar territory so because of that it's like well one of these will win out as the one from the 90s people care about yeah I, I kind of think of it like in terms of okay uh, Dragon Ball is like the Star Wars and Yu Yu Hakusho is kind of like maybe Indiana Jones perhaps am I getting close uh no what would you I, think I'd have to think about a comparison but uh, that, that's how I kind of view it because it's like I mean, Dragon Ball is like, everyone knows it. Every single person, if you say that, they know what it is. I, I see where you're coming from. Like, I think there's probably a, a better uh, analogy, but I think that's, like, not wrong. I think that's probably, like, an okay one, and people kind of get what you're saying. Especially if you know how many people were shared between, like, the production of both of those. Yeah, and I also want to speak on the not popular ones. I think Penny and Stalking was pretty big here, but it didn't do well in Japan because the, the stylistic thing was just so different. So Big O was really big in the U.S. Oh, yeah, that's right, Japan. Big O. Oh, that and I actually haven't heard of it. Big O is a really weird show that is like, imagine if you had Batman, but it's a mech show, and it's based on German Expressionism as its art style. It's a post-apocalyptic German Expressionist Batman. Not saying that would do well in Japan. It did it pretty well here in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, it did really well in the U.S. to the point where they ordered a second season for the U.S. only. Yeah, I think the same thing happened with uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! actually with Dungeon Dice Monsters. The four kids actually ordered a... Uh, it's kind of different. Uh, actually ordered a Dungeon Dice Monsters for the U.S. and then it got dubbed later in Japanese. Which I thought was kind of cool. That's interesting. That one, I think, Fully Cooly was actually... I think that was ordered from Adult Swim 2. Because Gynax doesn't really do stuff more. Oh, oh, you mean the second season of... Yeah, uh, yeah. second, third, I think Adult Swim was like, yeah, we want That this. makes sense, because otherwise I was like, I don't know why they came back to this, because FLCL was, like, done. Yeah, Gy- Gynax is, like, notorious for, like, okay, short run, that's it, yeah. no more. So, uh, now that we've gone on, like, ten trillion tangents, some of which are definitely my fault, uh, let's actually get to the episode synopsis. So, uh, the episodes we're covering today are six, seven, and eight. Uh, we told you last week that we were going to cover more, but we decided that we want to keep these more uh, thematically or story-wise consistent, and we'll sort of uh, adjust the amount of episodes we watch depending on what's coming up next and like what's going on in the story. And if there's an episode that's short in terms of episodes, we'll try to include more background information to just fit it in a, at a better time instead of having whole episodes devoted to that. Uh, so yeah, uh, today, uh, episode six, Three Monsters, a.k.a. The Three Yokai, Hiei, Kurama, and Goki. Uh, originally aired in Japan on November 14th, 1992, and in the U.S. March 30th, 2002. Uh, so, oh, jeez. 
Yeah, it's, I didn't realize it was that late. Yeah, I, yeah, it was ten years apart. I re- so what? the way I remember this is I remember watching Yu Hakusho and G Gundam when I was fucking playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two and going to bar mitzvahs because I was in seventh grade. Wait, oh man, so you went to I bar don't mitzvahs? want to tell you how old I am. Lucky. Well, I mean, I'm I'm like a quarter Jewish and like I was really? raised. Yeah, so I was actually raised Jewish, so I went to a lot of bar mitzvahs. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, I only went super related. It, it had a lot of fun on it. I'm super upset I never went to a bar mitzvah. I think I'm a little old now. If it, um, if it helps, <laughs> I've only, if, it only, if it helps, I've never been to a quince. I've also never been to quince. Oh, yeah, I guess you were in Scottsdale, yeah. I went to a, yeah, all-girls Catholics, or not all-girls, a Catholic school, so, like, no one invited me to their cultural things. <laughs> I just say all-girls are, like, living in an anime now. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, uh, so in this episode, uh, Koenma reveals to Yusuke that he is a spirit detective and must use his own unique abilities to battle demons and other threats to the living world. Koenma additionally gives Yusuke a mission to recover three artifacts stolen by master thieves of the spirit world. Yusuke first encounters Goki, the first thief who possesses the Orb of Boss, an artifact that enables the user to steal human souls, especially those of children. Goki proves to be much stronger than Yusuke, threatening to eat him alive. I'd say that's uh, pretty accurate. There's maybe some small differences uh, in the Japanese version, but we'll, we'll get to those. Mm-hmm. So the episode starts with the three thieves uh, breaking into just a vault in the spirit realm. It's sort of drawn in the same style as uh, when you saw earlier Yusuke going to the spirit realm. And you just see the silhouettes of them. It's very anime. You know, you see the silhouettes of the villains before you ever see them. Uh, That's kind of like a standard shounen trope. But it goes back to the human world, and uh, Atsuko, uh, Yusuke's mom, wakes Yusuke up to check if he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, she's really I mean, worried. That's fair. Yeah. That's like an actual honest reaction for. I think she did it for like. Uh, didn't she keep doing it for like like weeks on end though? Yeah, yeah. No, he, he's like getting real tired. Yusuke you, commented you like, "Mom, this is like the the millionth time you've fucking done this." Uh, apparently, uh, so in the U.S. version, she remarks that uh, she had a dream that Yusuke chose to leave because of her. Uh, but this isn't said in the Japanese version. So it just kind of builds this idea of, like, even though she's a shitty mom, she still has some guilt about this stuff. But, uh, so, you know, Yusuke deciding, like, I can't fucking go back to sleep. I might as well, you know, head towards school. So on the way there, uh, two school kids are talking about a pen that uh, one of them got from his uncle, which is, like, a nice custom-made fountain pen, which that's a much bigger deal in Japan than it is in the U.S., like, fountain pens and, like, pens and ink are just a big fucking deal over there for... Various cultural reasons, like being really into crafts and uh, paper craft and uh, inking and stuff is a big thing. So these kids are like, oh shit, it's really good that uh, Yusuke's not around because he'd fucking steal it. And he comes back. <laughs> he's like, hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah, Yusuke, Yusuke shows up right behind them, surprises the shit out of them, <laughs> which is kind of the theme of a lot of this episode. But uh, he gets to school and everyone is freaked out that he's alive, which, you know, we all expected that. No one fucking does anything about it. They're just like, well, we all literally went to your funeral and saw your dead body, but I guess this is a thing we can do and be okay with. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up last episode when, like, I was surprised Yusuke didn't, like, even tell, like, like, uh, like, Korobara or anything. It's like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm alive, even though, even though I used your body, like, 50 times and you were crying over my funeral. Hey, how's it going, guys? Here, let me save your cat. Maybe. And it's like, it's like, like... Maybe it's talking of, oh, you're a meshy, that guy. Yeah. Oh, he's done shit like this before. It's like, no, he hasn't. Resurrections are a normal thing, guys. Yeah. Come on, Japan. Remember Bob last year? Yeah. Do they have death certificates in Japan? Yes. I mean, yes. They, they got yes. Yeah. Like, I they mean, have death certificates. Like, this whole thing doesn't make any sense. Like, you would, okay, so Iwamoto, the, the dick teacher, uh, yeah, that's that's his subject, I guess. Uh, the, the jerk teacher, uh, 
is like obviously pissed Yusuke is there and he's like yeah I'll find a way to get rid of him for good the dude came back from death are you sure you're gonna be able to find a way to like get him for good yeah I would've gave up I was like you know what for, for you know what how about if I just try to I'll just tutor him or something yeah it's just like maybe I'll just try to make him into a good student instead nah. Nah. <laughs> but it's a 90s anime so he's like I'll fuck him again I guess Gross. Uh, no, not, <laughs> not what I meant. Um, but anyways, Yusuke, being Yusuke, skips gym because even though he's kind of like... I guess you could describe him as like naturally athletic. He does not like sports unless it's like martial arts. And I think that fits with a couple people in this room. Um, <laughs> liking, sport, like, liking martial arts, but not sports. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, me and Megan. Uh, but he has a flashback about having received, quote-unquote, the psychic spyglass, a.k.a. the Reto lens... Uh, from, I almost said Kagome, but from Botan. <laughs> yeah, wow. That would have been, been really weird. Uh, but he, I want to watch that crossover. <laughs> no, you don't. Kagome. Kali, I love Inuyasha. Sit, dog. But yeah, so Botan gave him the psychic spyglass, which allows a limited form of x-ray vision, which he, obviously, it's an anime, it's the 90s, he immediately tries to see through Botan's clothes, she hits him with her oar. Uh, but what's interesting about this is, he never does this to anyone again. And I've been hypothesizing reasons for this. Like, one, it appears that it requires energy to use. Because when he does use it, he only sees, like, limited patches of, uh, like, mm-hmm. x-ray vision. And so, therefore, I think it's the application of spirit energy. Uh, but also, I think they don't try to build Yusuke as a character who is, like, perverted in the way either Master Roshi is or the way, like, Naruto is. He's just, like, re- he's just regular perverted. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's like, like, perverted in the way... Pervert. Yeah, he's, like, perverted in the way, like, an actual teen boy is as opposed to, like, a sex criminal. <laughs> like, the way Naruto is. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, he needs to be on some sort of list. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, um, so, you know, he, he he's like, oh, yeah, I wonder what this foreshadowing is gonna mean. But uh, just as this is, you know, happening... Uh, he get, he comes back to, uh, you know, class, and all the kids think he fucking stole, like, the fountain pen because it's mysteriously gone. And, uh, you know, everyone just flinging accusations at him. Iwamoto shows up, and, uh, of course, he's like, I know you fucking stole it. Uh, you, like, you know, starts beating him in, like, some back room. Because, uh, I don't know if this is true today, but at least in Japan at the time, it was definitely okay for teachers to, like, to some degree, lay hands on kids. I think, I mean... Technically, I think it was only on guys, but that, I think that was probably, like, not an explicit thing. It was more like a, hey, this is a cultural norm in a fucked up way. We use the paddle in the States. A little bit, le- a little bit more, uh, a little bit more, uh, uh, civilized. Dude, man, if a t-shirt had ever laid hands on me, that would have been fucking weird. I'm pretty sure it's like a light, like, at least nowadays, I think it's like a light swat. Yeah. Like, it's not really like a, bitch, you dead. Like, yeah, I was like gonna a- say, in <laughs> 70s and 80s anime and, like, dramas, you definitely saw people, like, Like a rolled-up paper. Yeah, yeah. rolled-up paper like or at most, like, a fist on some non-vital part of the body. Yeah. But, like, that's... I don't he think... He, like, decked him. There's yeah, no. blood. This is fucking Yu Hakusho, so he decked him in the fucking face. <laughs> I was like... And I was like, damn. Yeah, I don't this. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit concerning, especially because, like, yo, let's be real. Iwamoto's a huge fucking dude, so for, for, for whatever reason. There's no functional reason for him to be. He's, like, a big fucking dude for some reason. He's anime villain. He yeah. needs to be this. That's true, that's true. And then, like, Kawama, I guess, Kawama comes up and is like, Zavaldo! And, like, yeah, freezes everything. Yeah, he freezes time for some reason. And explains, like, oh, Yusuke, if you want to prove your innocence, use the fucking psychic spyglass. So, foreshadowing complete. Uh, he looks into the dude's pocket, sees the pen is there. Uh, when time unfreezes, he gets the pen, 
And then this is all happening in front of uh, Takanaka, who, remember, is good guy teacher of the year. And he's just like, Mr. Iwamoto, I can't believe you did this. And they, and Iwamoto's like, oh, well, you know, fuck this kid and his mom. And then he leaves the room. Uh, Takanaka follows him to, you know, have words with him. But Yusuke is still pissed off. So he's like, yeah, maybe I should beat the shit out of him. To which Koen was like, oh, what if you did it invisibly? <laughs> which, at the time... Like, everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, well, let me give you a lesson. And here's where they first start explaining uh, spirit energy, which is uh, the energy of a uh, human soul. This, this explanation differs in the U.S. and Japanese version, probably because I think different conceptions of the idea and also, like, different cultural understandings of, like, energy fields as they pertain to, like, martial arts and stuff. So in the Japanese version, they just mention the general idea of Reiki, which is spirit energy. But they don't mention a distinction between body and spirit energy, which is consistent with Sarah's earlier research on uh, Shintoism, the idea of generalized energy. While in the U.S. version, they make an explicit distinction between spirit and body energy. I definitely wrote spirit and boy energy, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need that boy energy. energy in my life. Oh, no. <laughs> you got to pay the troll toll. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Koenma, you know, sort of tells Yusuke, like, yeah, just try concentrating your spirit energy, which you should have, like, a better understanding of now that you've been dead and come back, uh, into your finger, and then just imagine a trigger in your mind to pull it and fucking shoot a bolt at this dude. Uh, to which he does, uh, Koenma says, yeah, it's, you know, several times stronger than a standard punch. So he ends up psychically rabbit-punching Iwamoto in the back of the neck, and it seems to be a fucking running theme in this show. But, uh, yeah, so Yusuke just runs off, because... Uh, like Jojo, uh, regular humans cannot see spirit energy attacks. So, uh, you know, he's just like, why did you fall over so hard and maybe have a broken neck? Uh, Yusuke, you know, leaves the, Yusuke, like, leaves the room and leaves the school to, uh, first, to start doing what he needs to do. Uh, he does his thing. Yeah, so he speaks with, uh, Koenma, who introduces, uh, what's going on and, like, why he wanted to talk with him. Which is that, you know, earlier in the episode we saw those items being stolen by those three criminals and Koenma talks about what these three items are. Uh, they're referred to as the three items of darkness. Uh, Sarah, would you like to take this away? Yes, so the first item is... Oh man, I don't know if I want to pronounce the Japanese. Koma no Ken. Koma no Ken, or the Blade of Dana Dan Demonic Subjugation, or it was uh, translated into the Shadow Sword. Um, there's also the, the Unko Kukyo, or the Dark Looking Glass, or the Forlorn Hope, as people of the dub would probably be more familiar with. And finally, there is the Gakidama, Gakidama, um, or the Starving Ghost Ball, um, or the Orb of Bost, as it was translated into. So these are the three. Um, Treasures, grand treasures of darkness, or the artifact, artifacts of darkness um, that were stolen. And all three of these are actually based on like actual relics in Japan, which are the imperial. What was it? The uh, I think it's like the imperial treasure, three imperial treasures, yes. or something like that. And so... Oh, yeah, the Imperial Regalia of Japan. Imperial Regalia, Regalia of Japan. So these are legendary relics that are very important to the Japanese history that um, 
They do exist, but their location is unknown, or at least not disclosed. Yeah, it's kept secret for... It's used during the coronation ceremonies of emperors, so they don't want these ever being stolen. And so, like, the... They all represent a different virtue. So the sword is based off the sword of Kusanagi, which has the virtue of valor. Um, The forlorn hope is based off the mirror um, Yata no Kagami, and it represents wisdom. And the orb is based off the jewel Uh, Yasakani no Magatama, which represents benevolence. And these were all supposedly brought by the... I'm sorry, guys. I don't know. Mikoto. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the legendary ancestor of the Japanese imperial line, when his grandmother, the sun goddess... Amaterasu. Amaterasu? Yeah. Sent him to pacify Japan. So the mirror and the jewel were used to lure out... um, the, the <laughs> sun goddess. Just anytime you need a word, just jump Oh, this, yeah, this part's gonna get bad. Uh. Sun goddess from her cave. Uh, she was hiding there from her brother. Um, Sus- uh, is that O-O? Yeah, Susan- I think that's Susano. Susano Mikoto. And the sword was from the inside the body of an Orochi and was given to the sun goddess as an attempt to apologize. And... These relics and artifacts are seen throughout all kinds of Japanese media, including animes like Ruto and also... Uh, the video game series The King of Fighters, where the three initial main characters are based on the uh, people who guard the relics, like family lines, up into the 1990s. As, oh. as, in, uh, as in Terry and stuff? Or? No, no, no. So uh, Kyo Kusanagi is obviously the... Their family keeps the sword of Kusanagi. Yeah. And then uh, Iori Yagami, mm-hmm. his family was apparently an offshoot of the Yasakani line. Mm-hmm. And so they became the Yagami family when they decided to corrupt the, uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, the jewel and make it into this thing that was able to summon the powers of the Orochi. Because, spoilers, but King of Fighters' original plot is to resurrect the eight-headed uh, demon serpent, the Orochi, as a like god on Earth. And so, uh, Kagura... I always thought that King of Fighters was Geese wanting to become super powerful. So that's a side plot. It's basically like this crime lord named Geese Howard from the States who's trying to take advantage of the end of the world happening. Predictable. Yeah. Uh, in order to, uh, you know, get rich while someone else is like, well, I'm just gonna resurrect this ancient demon god if, <laughs> like, what? No, if y'all no. wanna chill, I guess. It's like, no, I just wanna be powerful in money. Yes, Exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, so it's it's super influential, uh, it's it's seen throughout, like, a ton of, uh, anime, manga, like, stories, legends, etc., but, um, you know, just, it's, it's cool seeing them in their, like, sort of demonic incarnation in this show, because, uh, in, in the U.S., like, this all has to be explained to people, but in Japan, it's just like, oh, shit, this is like bringing, like, the sword of King Arthur and making it bad. Yeah, that's, actually, that's a really good equivalent, King... Like the like King Arthur, the Chalice, Dark Excalibur. Yeah, the Excalibur. Yeah. The that was it. The Holy Grail, the Chalice, whatever the hell yeah. that is. Yeah, the Unholy Grail. That's yeah, awesome. Uh, but in anyway, uh, anyways, this is the first mention of uh, the concept of yokai or apparitions in the show. Uh, I guess, like Sarah, do you feel like now would be a good time to explain sort of like yokai or? Yeah. So I feel this is like basically yokai or demons will. 
basically surround like the entire show like they feel like this is definitely like, a huge pivotal point of like what the show is going to be about now um and so when Yusuke is trying to look for the thieves he's just you know chilling on a bench and then suddenly he has like these the sky turns all red and he has this foreboding feeling and he sees this kid just suddenly collapse and he sees his soul from the kid leave this kid's body he follows it through a really sketchy part of town like it's just like a whole bunch of like adults just like staying in the corners looking all bad and angry if you want to know how bad this part of town is there's a broken tire there that says bad year on it Ooh, fucking edgy <laughs> that's not how you know it's bad <laughs> it's not a good year so no it legitimately said bad year on it i, I like rewound i'm like what the fuck <laughs> So can we officially uh, rename, Go- uh, was it Goki, right? Yeah. Can we name him the Nightman? <sighs> no. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, got, Joe, you're just like, no. So he's like, skim me the crowd to see, like, who out of these sketchy assholes is going to be the bad guy. Then he looks out at Goki. Takes a second. Oh, takes sorry. a second. And then he sees horns. And he's like, mm, that's not normal. <laughs> I think he literally says, yeah, that's not normal. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Weird. that's weird. The soul was normal, but when he saw the horns, like, yeah, it's not normal now. Yeah. And he confirms it by using the psychic spyglass, and he looks to find the aura boss inside Goki's pocket. Um, so uh, after this, it transitions to a scene where uh, Koenma is getting a docket on the three criminals from uh, some of his underlings, who throughout the show kind of do research for, for him. Uh, so I guess, like, a, one of the Oni or Ogres uh, passes him one and, like, starts presenting it. Uh, he mentions that Hiei and Kurama, there's no fucking info, so why is he even... And they said that uh, is a brutal dude, but that they don't really know much about him. And that Kurama, they have literally nothing on the guy. Uh, but Goki is just a known standard criminal who has killed his last 10 or 12 uh, pursuers, depending on the dub or the original. So he's just, like, a regular thug that they got who is just, like, the muscle of it. Because, uh... I mean, spoilers, but Kurama and Hiei could easily take the dude out, but it's just nice to have him as a lackey when he's unaware that he's a lackey. And uh, it's revealed that Yusuke only has a week to get back these artifacts before Yama, or King Enma, comes back from his vacation. Because I guess gods take vacations. Where does he go? Heaven. He's there. <laughs> Extra heaven. He probably, he's like, uh, any of you guys watch Preacher by any chance? Ooh, no, hell. I don't. Maybe he's the hell. Oh, basically in that show, uh, God goes missing, it turns out that he's just on vacation on Earth. Oh. Uh, it's really a show. Oh. It's like Dogma. In a, yeah, Dogma. 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 That's a Dogma. Dogma. Yeah, he, he possesses, like, well, he makes a human being who he possesses the shell of, and then just plays skee-ball, because that's what he likes to do. At the pier? Yeah, at the pier, yeah. Dogma's oh, a great Dogma great is great. Movie. Fun fact, I actually live, like, Five, I actually live like five minutes away from that store that Kevin's with yeah. some oh, clerks. Yeah. When I li- lived in Middletown, New Jersey, Leonardo's was like literally right down the street. I think there. I like went there once and took a picture in front of it. But yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah sorry. No, no, Kevin's no, no, no. cast next week. And so, what could if Yusuke doesn't get back these artifacts it, within that week before King Yama comes back, not only will Koenma probably get the spanking of a lifetime, he also says that, hey, the human world's gonna get a spanking too because my dad's gonna cause a ton of earthquakes. Yeah, in the <laughs> Japanese version, they specifically call out like a disaster as bad as the Great Kanto Earthquake. I don't know if it was the worst earthquake that Japan ever suffered, but in terms of just damage and popular culture, like it was the one. And like Japan's kind of famous for earthquakes. Was that the one where like 
it's it, the earthquake was bad, but because of the fires. Yeah, I think the fires took out yeah tons of okay. places. Um, so, and that's also like a big part of the reason that Japan got really into learning how to build new structures that could withstand earthquakes and kind of generated all the research that everyone else has used since. So what, um, I, I did have a question. So, uh, mm-hmm. I th- in the Japanese version, he didn't say he would get spanked, right? He just like, oh, he'll just cause an issue on earth, right? Uh, maybe, maybe. Cause I, I, cause I watched it and I, I didn't remember. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, spoilers. It might have just that been. That does happen, but you know. Yeah. It might've just been in the English version where they specifically mentioned it out loud. But in, uh, in English, uh, he says, like, instead of the earthquake thing, he says, he might sing a continent, basically saying, like, yo, remember Atlantis? That was some shit like this. Uh, so, he, uh, so now cut to Hie just in a clearing, using the shadow sword on trees, just cutting the trees and generating temporary wooden demons who just, like, show up, fly around, and then turn into statues and fall to the ground. And says something to the effect of, like, wow, if I can do this to trees, imagine what I can do to humans. Uh, so, at this point, you know, uh, Hiei and Goki are talking about this, and, uh, Goki's like, yeah, I can't wait for you to raise an army using that sword, I'll feed them using this orb of boss, like, he just declares, like, remember that orb I got? Yeah, that's what we're doing, and then Kurama, looking, you know, sort of, like, melancholy, he's like, ah, I'm afraid I must, uh, withdraw from our alliance, and the others get kind of pissed off. Uh, he accuses Kurama of becoming too human or, you know, going soft or whatever. Uh, Kurama declines a request to, you know, give the, give the mirror back to the other two because Goki's like, you better fucking give me that mirror or shit's gonna get bad. And Yusuke, instead of, Yusuke's watching this and instead of being, like, perceptive and realizing, like, oh, some infighting is about to happen and maybe I could get the heads up on them by just having these two dudes kill each other before I do anything, decides to open his fucking mouth and be dramatic... (laughs) <laughs> and interrupts them and, and says, and like basically is like, hey guys, I couldn't help but notice that you were just chilling out in this clearing in the middle of an otherwise rainy day. What's up with that? Because uh, it's just sunny. There's like a pillar of sunlight on top of them, which you can take this two ways. Like, my thought is either they chose that place because they're like, oh, well, there's no, you know, rain here. Or uh, a legend about uh, spirit foxes is that they get married or have ceremonies on, in places that are sunny during rainy days. And so that may or may not be tied to Kurama. Oh. But I'm not sure if it's just implication or if there's something more there. Or he like, wanted it gloomy everywhere else and was like, but like, rain's hard to animate. Yeah, that, <laughs> that might be some of it too. I mean, and in the it, it, it may honestly be they're like, oh fuck, there's a ray of sunshine there, let's just go there. <laughs> but uh, Yusuke, regardless, Yusuke was able to find it because he's like, I don't know, some dudes are talking in a clearing, let's do this. Uh, so... Kurama just, like, kind of, like, walks off as this interchange is happening, and, like, Hiei is, like, you know, saying some shit's about to go down, but since Kurama starts walking off, Hiei pursues him, and it's just, uh, Yusuke and, uh, Goki left there. So, uh, basically, you know, Goki says, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not as rude as my friends over here, I'll stay and play with you, effectively, but he's like, let me eat first, to which point he pulls out the orb of boss, one, confirming, yeah, this is the guy, and also, like, Yusuke's like, oh, fuck, you're about to eat that kid's soul? And, you know, this ups the stakes because, like, Yusuke doesn't want kids to die on his watch because, like, as for previously established, while Yusuke is not, like, the most sympathetic dude towards other people, he is okay with kids and likes kids, so he doesn't want this shit to happen. So, uh... Yusuke is kind of a kid himself, if you think about it. Yeah, he's, he's 14. But, like, I'm talking, like, young, young kids. Because I think the person that he saw, the soul leave their body, was probably, like, two or three. Yeah. Because they were, like... A toddler. Yeah, it was, like, a little toddler. 
Um, so, you know, Goki swallows it, and then Yusuke, like, runs up and beats the shit out of Goki, or at least seemingly beats the shit out of Goki, knocks him out, uh, but, you know, after the guy falls, the show does, like, I think the first of what it will do for many episodes after this, or for, it's kind of a thing in this series, where you just hear this noise, and then the person just shows up behind, like, a character, you know, (laughs) nothing personal, man, uh, what's that? Fucking anime meme. Y'all know what I'm talking about. No. You know, teleports behind you. Nothing personal, kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. I'm out of... I'm out of... Yeah. It's a teleport. Yeah. Yeah, so that <laughs> happens. And, uh, you know, the the guy's like, yeah, you're pretty strong for a human, but... Spoilers, the guy turns into a giant demon uh, called a Kyukon Ki, which uh, I think literally means soul-sucking ogre. Uh, he hits Yusuke with a whole fucking tree that he uproots just to give some indication of how strong he is. Remember, I said that Hiei and Kurama are stronger than this dude. I do not mean in a physical sense. I just mean they could have beaten the shit out of him in other ways that we'll, we'll go on to talk about later. But, uh, yeah, Yusuke is basically worried that he's going to die here because uh, this guy hits, like, a fucking truck and uh, Yusuke punching him, like, point-blank range can't do shit. To be yeah. fair, Yusuke's technically still a normal-ish dude with, yeah. like, slightly higher spirit energy. Like, that tree probably should have killed him, like... Pretty much, like, but it's, it's an anime, so he, got, yeah. he has plot yeah, armor. Yeah, but, like, we... <laughs> so, Yusuke has plot armor, but it sort of gets justified later in the yeah. series. okay. Yeah, like, in a way that, I, like, a lot of the impossible stuff early on makes a lot more sense once you get to later in the show. But yeah. up to this point, all he's really, like... All the people that he's fought were either like other teenagers or, in some instance, like he's random full grown adults. Yeah. yeah, but they're like, not. Oh, well, yeah, they're not a fucking ogre. Well, to be fair, when I said he hits him with a whole tree, I think he hits him with the branches part of the tree oh, as okay. opposed to like the the trunk. Yeah, if he hit him with the trunk, he should probably be fucking dead. See, because I don't remember this part where he like actually gets hit by a tree. So I was like, oh, like a I, whole tree. I think he hits him with the branches, so like that would still really suck, <laughs> and should probably put most people out of commission. But it's possible you would survive. Okay, okay. Also, I don't know if it was just me, but I totally got uh, Fist of the North Star vibes when the demon transformed, and his shirt was ripping, is getting bigger and bigger. Oh yeah, it was. It seems like a monumental Shindu. Yeah, it was it was very uh eighties okay, anime was full of shit yeah, like that. So I'm really behind on the times on memes. What the fuck is that from? Uh, Fist of the North Star, that's uh when Kinshiro he has the What da, 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 da. Uh, uh, it's a it's a show that's basically like imagine if Bruce like, Lee was the main character of Mad Max. Uh, yeah. Oh, perfect. See, I don't know why I thought it was from like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So, because like, they're all both, really buff. Both JoJo and Berserk basically started as Fist of the North Star fan fiction. Mm. Oh. And then, then differentiated. So, like, the funny stuff and the not-so-funny yeah. yeah, stuff. Well, actually, wait. Let me take that back. Berserk did not start as Fist of the North Star fanfiction, but he did, like, the style of how it was uh. drawn. But JoJo straight-up started as Fist of the North Star well, fanfiction. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, so as, uh, like Twilight the first and, uh, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Exactly, like, yeah. So, Except okay. less sexy. Yeah. So, going back to you, show, <laughs> this, I feel like, is, like, the first time that Yusuke actually sees the big bad demons because before when you look at it we actually do see ogres working for Juanma George and this is the first time that we see an ogre that's bad and it's interesting because they're both color coded Mm -hmm. you guys ever like heard of like the red oni blue oni trope so blue onis are usually associated with um, observance of authority calm wisdom while red onis are usually associated with wildness defiance um no, like rebellion so it's usually a way to 
compare two characters that are usually either in a rivalry, except in this case, really not so much. I, but it does have good imagery for people who are familiar with those tropes in order to dif differentiate like the difference between like these different creatures that are now popping up. Because uh, I was gonna say I'd be curious to see I like so I think that's like a, a good point. I'd be curious to see if Kyuko and Ki are considered like Oni though. Because um like you're mentioning Oni and Ogre and using them interchangeably and like oftentimes I see a lot of uh Japanese creators or like uh mythologists like refer to Oni and Ogre as two separate things, but like separate but like related, but that oftentimes the ascription of like the Western idea of Ogre gets put on both things. Well, originally, Oni was kind of like a catch all for yeah. demons, spirits, supernatural creatures, and over time it became a specific more, thing. Yeah, specifically malevolent male. Um, Monster, monster ogre demons. <laughs> monster ogre demons. <laughs> uh, one of the few things that they're like explicitly related to are like the keepers of hell are supposed to explicitly be oni as opposed to other things. Serving king Enma. Yeah, basically, that's like the one time where they're like seen as good things, and that's that's analogous to like Buddhism and Hinduism, where a lot of the evil creatures are seen as part of natural order when they are in the realm of hell and like torturing people. Is that, I mean, this might be really off topic, but, like, this specific creator in a lot of anime in general, but him specifically, I'm thinking of, like, bad guys will, sometimes aren't always just bad guys. Like, the flexibility. Oh, there. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's a lot of that yeah. in this show. Unfortunately, uh, Goki is none of those Goki things. is... Yeah. Oh, no, not Goki. Goki is just a simple dude. Asshole, yeah, man. he's just a simple <laughs> he's asshole. He's eating souls. <laughs> he's the closest thing to, like, just, like, a thug. Like, he's he the just... Raditz. Of the series. It's not even Raditz. Like, Raditz, Ooh, like... That's, that's a burn. I was gonna say, Raditz even, like, had, like, you know, just like, oh, yeah, they killed our people. Like, we need to get revenge. Like, even if I'm gonna do things really bad, Gogi's like, I don't know. I like eating kids. <laughs> I'm I mean, just you, gotta, you gotta admire that self... That self... That self-serviceness. Yeah, like, he's a simple guy. Yeah, simple he, he dude. He kids, eat souls. It's good times. So, uh, we'll be back after a short break. <laughs> just cue Hannibal Burris, like, shooting something, or... <laughs> show so now after a break we're gonna go on to episode seven goki and karama karama's secret the ties between mother and son so this episode first aired in japan on november 21st 1992 and it aired in the u.s on april 6 2002 uh so the basically goki retreats after hearing botan's voice and yusuke is brought safely to back to his home Yusuke later fights and defeats Goki in a forest, recovering his artifact. He then meets with Karama, the second thief who possesses the Forlorn Hope, an artifact that enables its user to have any wish they want, but at the cost of their own life. Karama plans to use his artifact to sacrifice um, himself to save his human mother, Shiori, who is currently suffering from a terminal illness. Yusuke, believing that Karama's sacrifice would cause his mother pain, gives some of his own life source towards the mirror so that Karama will not have to die, and claims the mirror in the end 
while Karama is relieved to know that his mother will be okay. So that is the official summary of the episode. So, uh, yeah, uh, Yusuke, uh, starts this kind of episode by taking on a nine-foot-tall ogre, you know, shoulder-butting him into a tree. So, if getting hit with the other tree wouldn't have killed him, maybe this should have? Because, like, I don't know, this guy's probably at least 350 pounds of, like, pure muscle and apparently steel-strength skin, just shoulder-butting him into a actual tree. Yeah, what'd you guys think of this episode? Uh... Like, what did you, like, did you think oh, it was good, bad? Uh... I like the Kurama part. The Goki part is just kind of like... So, spoilers, this episode is divided into two halves. Yeah, I I don't remember it being, like, split up this way. I yeah. always thought that, from what I remembered, I thought each thief had their own individual episode. So, it was kind of just weird watching it again and realizing that the Goki thing was split between two. And the Kurama thing was just... I felt... I mean, granted, it shouldn't have taken a whole episode because there was really not that much going on, but it just felt kind of weird in pacing-wise, at least for me. I just think that the Kurama stuff are just really, really short because he wasn't evil, so there's no reason to beat the shit out of him. It's like, oh, okay, it's like, oh, you know, I need some help. Okay, here's this. It's that's it. Like, there's no major fight, so it's like, yeah. it's like okay, we had to do this episode, but it's like 15 minutes long. Uh, extend Goki fight, go. Yeah, I, I also think that part of it was they were trying to compress all the stuff that like predates the martial arts aspect of the show. We talked about this during our first episode that they kind of wanted to fast forward through this part, not because it's bad, but because it doesn't match the tone of the part of the show of the part of the manga that people were like wild for, and so like they kind of wanted to get through this fast. And Kurama, while his, like, life story is complicated, his dealings with his mother are not as as complicated logistically. So it's like, we can do this in a half episode. Um, so yeah, um, Yusuke would fucking die, except that, uh, you know, you start hearing a voice just uh, of an angry mob. But for some reason, everyone has the same voice, I guess. Because it turns out to just be Botan throwing her voice... Uh, Goki runs away because, quote-unquote, he doesn't want to fight the local villagers, which is, you know, obviously a reference to Frankenstein and him being surprisingly genre-aware. Uh, and so he runs away, and, uh, Yusuke wakes up, uh, and <laughs> Yusuke wakes up in his home, like, all bandaged up, and his mom, uh, apparently is there and, like, is taking care of him, and Botan shows up, and Atsuko can see her because Botan has, you know made herself a human physical form and uh, she uses this throughout most of the rest of the early parts of the show so all humans can see her etc the way this is dealt with in the anime and manga are slightly different uh sarah if you could talk a little bit about that i don't quite remember the manga uh i think in the manga when she goes back to the spirit world she like literally has to leave her human shell in the human world oh like there's like one or two scenes where they just put her body somewhere gross it's, it's like we're not just like, that for a second. It's like, so I, it's, I like, it's like Ronnie. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, didn't, yeah. I didn't read it, but like that was what was I, I read like a big thread of like comparisons <laughs> between anime and manga for Yu Hakusho, and, and that was one of the few ones. Yeah, we can not burn. Oh god! <laughs> I mean, that's interesting because it's like I guess in like the anime, it's like implied that she just her body just grows. <laughs> It just materializes on her. It naturally is be like spirit and flesh, spirit and flesh. Yeah. But I guess it makes more sense that, oh, here's like my human shell. Make sure it stays safe versus like 
constantly changing forms. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know, as part of this, like, uh, you know, Botan briefs him on like, oh, how are we gonna find these dudes? Uh, because Yusuke is like, oh shit, how am I gonna do this? And she presents him with uh, the spirit compass, which in the Japanese translates to uh, spectral energy meter, aka the Yoki K. I think this, and I think this uh, postdates the scouter in Dragon Ball Z. So I think this was just a, hey, what's a more '90s level of technology for a scouter? And so it's effectively like a wristwatch that can tell you which direction something of high spirit energy is. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. I actually didn't think about that till you brought that up. But was it the uh, wasn't Dragon Ball like Z the with the scouters like in the eighties? Yeah, so eighty nine was like when okay. Raditz showed up on Earth. Okay, well, okay. I mean, not actually eighty nine in Dragon Ball Z times, but that's when the issue was published where he has he, a scouter. He, he showed up on Earth in eighty nine and on Earth itself. Yeah, he showed up. No. He was like, "Yo, what's up?" No, but uh, I have to say though, uh, going getting back on track, we both. Botan is very fashionable in this one. Yeah. Oh, she's always oh, fashionable. Like, she just rocking that outfit, I gotta say. You're gonna really love the Maze Castle arc of this show because she has some kick-ass outfits there. She's Man. able to coordinate all types of colors with her blue hair. It's very impressive. Yeah, she has fashion goals. She's, uh, she's bae. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, over, over the news, they hear a newscast about anemia uh, and the tea kettle in, you know, Yusuke's house just starts going wild as foreshadowing, like, this is a big fucking deal, because, you know, everyone's obviously very aware that this sudden anemia amongst children is actually their souls being ripped out of their body by the Gakidama. Um, and so Yusuke asks uh, Botan, hey, how long do souls last in, you know, a Kyukonki's stomach? To which uh, Botan responds, like, only a day. So it kind of gives him a little bit of a time limit. Okay. You know, yeah. I wonder how this, this this is like the times are made up. Is it like you know they throw a dart? Okay, uh, one three days. I think uh, I think one day is like super convenient for story, especially because they wanted to emphasize they they wanted to emphasize Yusuke's like sort of scheming nature. So they had to figure out a way to show like oh he can defeat someone who is physically a lot more powerful than him so they had to have him enter this fight injured and use the tools given to him so I think one day mm -hmm. is good because it basically says like hey you're injured but get in this fucking fight plus he they already set like the deadline for a week so it's not like they can really have too much time between each villain to uh, for him to, co to confront you know um so uh, it just seems like everything's like a day limit like his his, uh, I don't, did they explain it last episode, this episode, where his, uh, his, uh, little gun thing is, like, only one use a day? Oh, yeah, so, uh, I think I actually missed that, but during the fight, he's like, oh, man, maybe I'll just blast him with a spirit gun. He's like, oh, crap, I already used it today, which apparently Koenma had mentioned, like, yeah, you can only use it once a day, uh, but, like, it's, it's like, it's Yusuke like forgot about that. transactions. Yes, it's like, it. you can, or you can pay 50, uh, <laughs> 50 ghost detector coins and get the gun again. I'm really glad, you know, free-to-play wasn't a thing at Yusuke's time because, uh, <laughs> it made this show very different. That would make it so interesting. It's like, so, God damn it! <laughs> so, uh, you know, Botan gives him another thing called the, uh, Regeki Ring, aka the Spirit Focusing Ring. Uh, which is something he puts around his finger in order to concentrate his spirit energy and basically shoot a stronger spirit gun. He uses this, like, once. Just like most of the tools he gets in the entire show. But, uh, so they decide to start tracking Goki. They turn on the, the compass, and, uh, it, you know, plays a startup noise and then spins around and shows him where he has to go, and they pursue him. Uh, so... 
They find him. Goki tries to warn him off again. Uh, and so they start fighting again. Yusuke tries punching him, but the uh, they describe that the Kukon Ki skin is as solid as a rock in the English version. In Japanese, they're like, nah, it's stronger than hardened steel. Uh, apparently, I misspelled that. But uh, Botan interferes for some reason and tries breaking a plank of wood over this dude's head who just said his skin is harder than steel. But did it work is the question. It distracted him. He distracts him for a second. So Yusuke kind of purposefully lets himself get grabbed in order to stick a large log into the guy's open mouth because he's about to eat him. And uh, he does this. The guy's like, wait, what the fuck? And Yusuke puts his finger up. And with the concentration ring on, blows the dude's fucking brains out. Yeah, that was, like, brutal. I was like, oh, guess he's not coming back. <laughs> yeah. He is, yeah, maybe he is the Raditz of this show. Yeah. Not it's, coming it's, back. It's like you see the intro, and it's like, three demons, two of them you see in the intro. Huh, I wonder who's gonna be murdered. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, he is He is one of the most murdered in this show. Um, but yeah, so the spirit flies off, and it's implied, like, oh yeah, it returns to the body of the kid. I think they even show, like, one of the kids getting up, right? Yeah, yeah. it's like, mommy. Yeah, how long, how long was that kid just on the ground in the park? Because Yusuke had enough time to be bandaged up and be passed out and get back up. Yeah, so, that actually used to have some weird vibes, especially when you see him, see the giant guy come up to the little kid. I was like, stranger danger the whole time. Oh yeah, time. there was some intense stranger danger in this episode. Dang. But yeah, so after the break... Uh, Yusuke and Botan are seen walking through uh, a like very neon street. Yusuke is like on crutches and being supported on the other side by Botan because he is fucked up. But the uh, spirit compass goes wild, uh, you know, big foreshadowing. And Kurama shows up behind, like just like a group of people. This is actually kind of a trope in Yuhak show. It'll be used a lot more in the third season. Just people showing up from behind groups of people in neon street scenes. Um, but Kurama looks very melancholy and calm and has like a steely sort of look on his eyes. And he uses a psychic power that I don't think ever happens again. No, it does happen in one other time in the entire show where he just speaks to Yusuke in his mind and says he has a request. Uh, Botan brings up that, you know, they only have, uh, three, like that, uh, Kurama says like, oh yeah, I need three days. Just give me three fucking days and uh, you can have the mirror. And Botan effectively says, like, yeah, that's weird, because in three days he'll be able to grant his wish because the uh, mirror has to have the full moon's power in order to work. It's almost like, you know, he might want to use it. Yeah, weird. Hmm. Weird. Sarah, what do you make of this? Sounds like he wants to use it. Maybe he just, maybe he just has a vanity issue. Yeah. So he's got to keep looking. He's like, oh, I'm so pretty. Yeah, he, he needs he, to use the moonlight for the perfect reflection. I mean, yeah, a he's huge got goth. some sexy hair. I really, like... He really does. Dang. Yeah, so I don't I don't blame him. I'd have that same issue. Damn, it's here. Oh my god. But uh yeah, so during the conversation in the US version, uh Yusuke says, Why would he tell me this? I think he uh I think I should trust him. Uh Kurama told the other two he was leaving, you know, he basically mentions to Botan, like, yeah, I kinda actually saw them in the middle of an argument. And uh quote unquote Kurama looked more sad than anything. Uh so uh in the US version uh, Atsuko shows up and says, like, hey, uh, what happened to Keiko? I thought she was your girlfriend. I thought she was your girlfriend. And this obviously leads to some confusion that will play out in later episodes. Uh, but Kurama is being a fucking creep and spying on Yusuke's apartment and, like, looking at his mom and just being weird. He's the eyeglass, the, the stand- binoculars. It's He's like, literally mm-hmm. standing, like, on top of, like, another building, just staring out. And, yeah, I didn't remember that. I was like, what is he doing? 
I think he wanted to just basically see whether Yusuke was going to go back on their deal or something. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Keeping tabs. It's also not revealed until much later, but Kurama can read lips, so he's probably also reading all their lips. Um, this becomes relevant when he is looking through the window in the opposite direction in season three. Uh, and so Yusuke goes and meets Kurama at the location that he specified, which happens to be a hospital. Um, he's shocked to find that Kurama is actually called by a human name by a, a human mother, Suichi. Um, his human name is Suichi, not Kurama. And very cute. It's a very cute name. Um, so he learns that he sees the woman on the hospital bed and sees that she's terminally ill. And he, Yusuke and Karama go up, up to the rooftop and Karama reveals his whole story. That basically he was once this great demon, a yoko or a fox demon, that was a great thief. He would steal all these treasures until one day a powerful hunter... Um, seriously injured him. And then he fled to the human world and basically, I don't know if it's explicitly said that he possesses a, a, a human a human fetus without a soul or not. It's... It's, it's, uh, it's in the U.S. and Japanese versions, they deal with it differently. Uh-huh. In, uh, I forget which is which, but in one of them, they're said to sort of cohabitate and the other, they're said to have combined. Um, and I should really confirm which version says which, but, like, the implications are very different. Like, one is one is more uh, Nail and Piccolo's fusion from Dragon Ball. The other one is, like, more like uh, Yugi and uh, Yami's uh, cohabitation in one body from Yu-Gi-Oh. No, I was thinking more of Deep Space Nine with Dax. I actually haven't seen Deep Space oh, Nine. basically, uh, there's these parasites called... There's these parasites... I forgot what the name of the race are, but they're, like, a... They're, um... Uh, what's that called? The one that's not bad? Uh, the, the symbiosis? Sy- yeah, it was a symbiote of sorts. Basically, the the host would have all the memories and all the experiences of the the uh, actual parasite, and it'll have two different names. Like, so the the human was Jadzia, and each one would have the surname Dax. Hmm. So, and there's another one uh, a little uh, later on when uh, spoilers, uh, uh, Jadzia dies, and she transforms that the uh, the parasite to another person. Hmm. And that also has all the memories of her and every past one. And it's it's really interesting. That's sort of the vibe I got where it's like, oh, it's like a cohabitant thing, but Yeah, I um, um very I, interesting stuff. I think it will be like you'll you'll find out more as time goes on, because I think they kind of elaborated more in the future. Like another thing that's interesting is uh you mentioned Krama being very old, but like I think they say he's literally thousands of years old. Uh and yeah. that yeah, like uh so I Spirit foxes, while in Japanese mythology, are originally from Chinese mythology, and I think they explain that they gain, like, a tail for every... I forget if it's 100 or every 400 years they live or something. And uh, the nine-tailed fox, you know, as seen in, like, Naruto and the Pokemon Nine-Tails, are supposed to be, like, the oldest uh, fox spirits who, you know, are able to take human or humanoid form. And, like, Kurama's basically a modern incarnation of one of these. And, so uh, is Kurama technically a Kitsune, then? Yeah, he is a Kitsune. Yeah, okay, so a... that... Okay, uh, that's why I was confused. I wasn't sure... Because they didn't spirit, specify it was Kitsune or not. I thought it was a... Uh, I thought it, it's a spirit fox, so I just assumed it wasn't the same thing. What's interesting is uh, the flashback they show is not from Kurama's perspective. It's a very impressionistic idea of what his past must have been like. Mm. Um, I think oftentimes when they show the past... 
it's more like what the people around him could possibly conjecture based on what's shown mm. until they explicitly show Kurama's perspective on it. Because I'll put it this way, the appearance of things will be different when you find out what really happened okay. long, long ago. I gotcha, yeah. Because that's really interesting. I, I was interested in the Kitsune thing because it's, it's really interesting because they're usually the mythology... They're based on, you know, they're always, like, tricky. Mm-hmm. They always play tricks, play pranks, so... Or just, like, a, a deceptive creatures of sorts. Right. Who's to say you're wrong? <laughs> and it kind of ties into his whole story, because the way that Krama approaches his relationship with his mother, even from the beginning, as we know, he says he owes her something. You say explicitly asks him, like, hey, why are you literally going to, through all this trouble, for this human lady? And he's like, well, she's my mother. So it kind of ties in a lot with, like, not just the whole um, importance of family within Japanese culture. It also ties into just his character in general and how he is kind of someone who's always looking to give back to the person who made him who he is today, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Um, And so he... Explains to Yusuke that um, his mother is sick, and before, when he was reborn as a human, he thought he would leave as soon as he got his power back. But over time, he had learned to love this woman who had raised him. And now that she's sick, he wants to use the Forlorn Hope to save her life. And they learn that the Forlorn Hope comes with a price, and that price is usually the wisher's life. And he's willing to sacrifice his own life so that she may live. Uh, Yeah, and so, you know, they go up to the... Like, so basically, uh, Kurama's mom goes into, quote-unquote, the critical stage of, like, the illness or whatever. And Sukurama, like, runs up to the, you know, roof. And, like, he basically makes this wish on the uh, mirror to uh, save her life. And, you know, this deep voice comes out and is like, are you sure you want to die for this? And he's like, yeah... And uh, Yusuke's like, oh no, and you know, basically uh, offers his life instead. A huge uh, explosion happens, and uh, you know, you see Kurama get up, but not Yusuke. Uh, and then, like, Kurama rushes downstairs to find his mom, like, is fine, and the doctor's like, oh, it's a miracle, blah, blah, and you're left kind of to think that Yusuke's dead. But then it's established, like, Yusuke gets up, and then the mirror says, like, in honor of your great sacrifice, uh, you know, no one's life has to be taken. Hey, hey! It kind of makes finger guns at him, mentally. How convenient. Yeah, Yeah. how plot convenient. It's funny, because Yusuke, when he's jumping into, um, jumping into sacrifice his own life, he's just like, I can't let you do this. I've seen what it takes, what... Um, pain moms go through when they see their kids killed and later on he's like oh man I can't believe that works so one thing that's interesting is in the US version he implies like oh man that was stupid because like my mom would have been sad I was gone but in the Japanese version he says no such thing because in the Japanese version the way he phrases his wish to have life taken was that it would be a split between him and Kurama which that can mean two things either like you know they'd be diminished vitally for like a couple days or that half their lifespans would be taken. It's never clarified because the price is never paid. Um, but it is an interesting difference in the two like scripts. Um, one thing, I, uh, actually, in the Japanese one, I think it, I think it said, "Oh, Yusuke is giving his life." Because the way when I watched it, the way I interpreted it was, "Oh, Yusuke gave his life," and that way uh, it would get, get, take away his life, and uh, he uh, Kurama would have his life. But he didn't realize that, and then he said afterwards, "Oh, I guess I, I guess I'm kind of dumb because." 
Maybe I got it mixed up for the Japanese. No, it, I mean it's possible. I honestly like I should probably just learn Japanese to get the authoritative on this. But like at least in the localization that I saw, there was a different implication between the two scripts. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Okay. Um, one other thing I meant to say. Uh, I mean, this kind of like ends the episode. Uh, to which, you know, Koema says, ah, such children, you know, about everyone, ha ha ha, dramatic irony. But uh, one thing that was interesting uh, in the episode that uh, I don't think kind of got brought up is, at least in the Japanese version, uh, Kurama mentioned that he, you know, as Sarah brought up, that he had wanted to just stay long enough to get his powers back and basically go back to a life of crime. But it was less that he had come to love his mom over his life and more... At the age of 10, when she suddenly became terminally ill, everything changed for him and he suddenly cared about her, at least was the impression I got. And I'm wondering how much of this has to do with like the idea of like a guilt complex, because this will become very clear throughout the show, but Kurama has like incredible guilt, because during his thousands of years of life before coming to the human world, he was not a good guy. Yeah. Um, I-, I won't say he was explicitly evil, but he was, he was out for himself. And he did a lot of fucked up shit in the back, like back in the day, that will get explained later. And I think a lot of the, his human life is seen as like retribution for his past. I'm trying to remember because it actually ties in more to his backstory. I know I remember clearly in the manga, they go into um, him as a kid. There's this scene where he's like almost at age 10. Um, so he almost has his powers back. And he's trying to just reach for something up on a shelf, and it caught, and he causes a bull to break on the ground. And he's about to, he's on a ladder, and he's about to fall off, and his mother comes in and saves him. And in the process, she gets her forearms all, like, cut up and stuff. Um, so... I think they briefly show this in a flashback in one scene while Kurama is remembering something, but they do not give any context to it. Oh, it just, I won't, that's in the manga. Like, it's a heavily implied, like, damn, this kid is, he, that, he feels like he owes her. There's a lot of stuff from Kurama's human life that is shown as shots in the anime that they never explain. Like, for instance, they show a young Kurama and a young Hiei fighting the, like, demon that has arms on its head. Nah, that never the anime, but that was definitely in the manga. No, it's, it's, in the, it's in the anime for one specific shot. Oh. They're just like, yeah, remember that? Like, both of these things, without spoiling anything, they're for a scene that occurs during the Dark Tournament where they explicitly show Kurama's memories backwards. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's why, yeah. like, these, the, these things are just there right before, like, suddenly, like, things go poof. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm just kind of surprised that it only took him 10 years to, like, clean up and straighten up. I guess maybe that's, like, uh, uh, maybe, like, three years of consciously pooping in your diapers is probably uh That's probably a, humility. Well, and also, depending on the U.S. or Japanese version, part of it is, like, there's another soul inside the body, as um, opposed to the other one where they're, like, fused. I gotcha. Well, in the manga, he goes and explains to Yusuke that while he was growing up, he still had the adult mind of an adult demon, so he would act very coldly towards his mother, like, but act as very, like, very mature for a child, because he was, like, literally like an adult mature. mom. Yeah. yeah. And he, and... He's much older than his mom. But his mom still treated him as a kid and loved him so much, so she literally got her arms cut up, and that act of compassion changed something within him that day. Wait, so, what happened? So, what happened was, Kurama, he was working on a school project, 
and he was trying to reach um, something on a top shelf. And he was on a ladder, and he couldn't reach it, so when he tried to grab it, it fell um, onto the ground, and he almost fell off the ladder and was about to land on it. His mother saw... Oh, yeah, his mother saw him and, like, saved him, and in the process, her arms fell on top of, like, the broken shards of the bowl. Yeah. And so that memory stuck to him because um, while she, he literally asked her, like, why'd you do that? And she's like, I'm so glad you're safe. And his the memory of her holding her arms with the blood, but she still has, like, a smile on her face, so happy that he's safe, it just stuck with him. It was probably a bit before, like, she got diagnosed, too. Yeah. So, like, things just all happening at once. Gotcha. Is this scene later on, or is this in the episode? This yeah. is a... It's in the manga. Okay. Yeah. And there's a brief yeah. shot of it shown in a later episode of the anime, but with no context. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, okay. So yes. the manga goes... A lot more um, detailed with Krama's past, which I guess maybe was why when I was watching the anime, I just it's a little disappointing because it didn't have that whole context behind it. Yeah, yeah, I gotta read the manga. I gotta, I gotta read a lot of mangas. I gotta, I still gotta go through part five of JoJo. That's but that's another another story. Let's yep. continue on. But yeah, so next episode, uh, episode eight, the three eyes of Hiei, aka Keiko in peril. Hiei the Jagan Master. Oh man, this is my. I, this is like my favorite episode so far. This is where shit heats up. It was a lot of fun, I have to say. I guess, I guess for people that don't know, basically the uh, uh, it starts out with the uh, Hie on this giant tower with the sword, be like, oh, all the others, all the others have failed me, and I, and I alone. Uh, it was like a, a, a was it uh, Goki was too prideful and yeah. strong and. And uh, Crown was weak and, you know... Uh, too bent, human. Too human. Yes. It's like, so, well, I'm going to use this giant sword that's going to put demons in people and turn into yokai my third eye. So the official summary um, of the episode is that the last thief, Hie, possesses a shadow sword, an artifact that has the power to turn any human it strikes into the lowest level of demon class. And he has taken Keiko hostage in order to get both the Orb of Faust and the Forlorn Hope from Yusuke. Making matters worse, Yusuke and Botan are shocked to learn that Hiei has struck Keiko with a shadow sword, and that she's slowly turning into a demon, which causes Botan to use her own spiritual power to prevent this from happening. Yusuke realizes that he must quickly defeat Hiei so that he can get the antidote needed to... Stop the transformation, which is currently sealed from within the hilt of the Shadow Sword. Ye uses the Dragon Eye, affording him a additional perception, which in turn presents Yusuke a battle too difficult. Kurama steps in to assist Yusuke and help Botan prevent Keiko from turning into a demon. Yusuke manages to trick Hiei by firing his spirit gun off the Forlorn Hope in order to hit Hiei in his blind spot, defeating him. The artifacts are taken back to the spirit world, and Keiko reverts back to normal thanks to the antidote. Yeah, so uh, it was. I thought it was really interesting the entire episode. I I just think the it was kind of like really action packed, and the beginning part with uh with uh, with Bo, with Botan was really cute too. Which comes out in her little, her little school uniform is like, oh yeah, you look just like a sailor. <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting. What did you guys, uh, what did you guys think of at least the end, the, the the episode? Uh, I think it's a really good episode. It's um, kind of like the first sample of like what the more martial artsy parts of the show are going to be like. 
And also, uh, establishes Hiei as, like, a character who, like, you'll actually get into. Because during the manga, when Hiei was made, he was supposed to be just Monster of the Week, but people fucking loved him. So instead of, like, killing him off or, like, putting him in jail, like, they made him, like, kind of part of the crew. I gotcha. It's interesting, as somebody that hasn't watched it before, I'm kind of... Interesting to see how that happens. Is like he just shows up. Oh hey, I'm good now, guys. No, it's it's more complicated. It's kind of like a Suicide Squad type scenario. It's like yeah, if you don't do this, we're going to fucking kill you. (laughs) I gotcha. Interesting. So I'm interested to see how that that works. I'm guessing. uh, I'm guessing this is the only the only time we're gonna see bad bad Hiei. Um, uh, maybe like maybe morally gray Hiei later. Yeah. I mean that's fair enough. There's got to be some. This is the last period. time you'll see Hiei being a ham, just like over the top dramatic. Because Hiei, um, I don't know, he's just so extra in this episode, and I think that's why at first, um, watching it, remembering the series, it's just like it's not quite that he's so different from what I remembered. I think it's just like fun. It's enjoyable to see him make all these melodramatic speeches and have, like, literal evil eyes show up all over his body. He's just doing the most in this episode. He's, he's sort of this weird demon racist, too, and, like, it, it changes from, like, a, being, like, an explicit, like, demon supremacist to more like a Vegeta, like, chauvinistic, like, uh, you know, my class is the best class type thing. And, like, that will, there's reason he has to have some form of pride and that will be elaborated on much later in the series. But for right now, just know that Hiei cares a lot about, I guess, the prestige of who he is. Yeah. I, I, or what he can do. Yeah, when he had all those eyes come out and start popping out, I definitely saw where he was going with his motivation and his, uh, his craziness. Uh, speaking of the motivation with the eyes, you'll actually find out something about that in a later episode. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, after the scene that you talked about with Hiei, you know, just kind of like talking shit about the other two... And just being like, only I'm this cool. Uh, we cut back to school, <laughs> and uh, Botan and Yusuke are on the roof. Botan mentions uh, having some basic accelerative healing powers, like you know the ability to like, hey, if you have a scab, I can make it heal in like a day instead of like two days. <laughs> like she's the Neosporin of our times. Um, very, very innovative. Person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, you know, so they talk about the resolution of Karama's case. And they mentioned that Kurama effectively gets a plea bargain uh, as they understood what he really wanted and that it was actually a good thing. This is kind of to show the flexibility of the spirit realm in terms of, like, dealing with certain things. And this is kind of a consistent theme, uh, the idea of plea bargaining with pseudo-good villains throughout the series. This is the first case of it, kind of. Uh, So, uh, you know, just to add some sort of, like, tension to the story, they kind of make it look like Yusuke's cheating on Keiko, which is really awkward when Keiko shows up on the roof, and who the fuck is this girl? Um, to be honest, I mean, it's who wouldn't? It's Botan. I don't know, man. I, I think I think they both definitely have two very different charms of them. Like, neither of whom is, like, what I'd be into, but, I mean, I think Yusuke makes the right choice uh, because he's not really attracted to Botan in any way except for, like, oh, cute girl. Uh, so, so, technically, would, would Botan be, like, Cradle robbing to an nth degree. Yeah, she's probably she's, she's, she's a couple yeah, thousand years like old, right? Thousands of years old. So it's revealed she, later that she's only one of many like uh, Shinigami, but like she probably is still very old. That's still weird to think. It's literally, literally just the, the Grim Reaper 
just like you know hanging out with him. Yeah. It's like hey, you know, when it comes down to it, basically just a skeleton with a with a uh, cloak on. Well, di- different different conceptions of death gods. I got you. Um, yeah, she doesn't like look like Ryuk from uh, Death Note or anything like that. She sh- that would have been that would have made it interesting. Yeah, that would have been weird. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Oh, Willem Dafoe's here. <laughs> Welcome, Willem. Uh, but yeah, so. Uh, in the U.S. version, Botan says that Yusuke should really explain the situation to Keiko. While in the Japanese version, he says that if she explains it, it will that if he explains to Keiko, actually make it more complicated. It's interesting to see these different cultural attitudes because in the U.S., it's like no, you need full clarity about this. While in the Japanese, they're like no, protect your girlfriend from knowing that you're a fucking spirit detective. You know what? To be honest, I probably would, I probably wouldn't blame. I probably would agree. I probably wouldn't understand either. It's like okay, so she's a death god that brought you back to life in a way, took over these people's bodies, and now she created her own body to come back to help you save other bodies. To be fair, Keiko has seen some supernatural shit like bringing her boyfriend, well, bringing her crush back to life with a kiss and him yeah. blowing and stuff. I mean, she's so, having the most qualified on earth so far. Right? Yeah, she is at a level where it's like, yeah, maybe you could tell her a bit more, but like, yeah, difference between attitudes of uh, clarity for Japan and uh, the US for sure. It's like uh, superheroes can't reveal your secret identity. Yeah. So uh, Hie uses his evil eye, aka the Jagan, to find out about people close to Yusuke and finds out about Keiko because of it. So uh, Keiko is walking down a path, probably to school, I forget. It's It's somewhere. And she just ignores a dude who's dressed in all black, and, you know, I mean, cool, but, like, there's some goth kid just standing in the middle of the street, and then he, uh, says her name and then slices her with the sword. I mean, doesn't all goth kids do that? Yeah, man. I mean, I remember in high school, I'd, all the time, I'd be walking, goth kid with this giant eye in his head, and swords shank me. I mean, it's a natural occurrence. I yep. mean, it just happens so Cross-cultural, much. it's crazy. Yeah, it's But, uh, Yusuke's... <laughs> Yusuke's getting yelled at by, uh... He's getting yelled at by Takanaga, so... He's not getting beaten, because Takanaga's a good guy. But he's more like, hey, you know, do something more with your life. And then Yusuke's like, uh, sorry, I gotta fucking get out of here. Uh, because, uh, yeah, he found out about Hiei's signal, and he's pursuing it, uh, with the spirit compass. Yeah. He's following it with the spirit compass, but he's like, why is this signal, like, exactly five kilometers away from me matter how far I go, and it turns out like he is not being tracked, he's actually just projecting his energy telepathically to give off the idea of where he is in order to get Yusuke to follow a path, basically. Um, so when uh, Yusuke goes down this path and meets up with Botan, uh, Botan says, like, yeah, he has been using his telepathy to show terrible things to me. I'm assuming meaning uh, psychic images of like him torturing like uh, Keiko or any other number of things. Uh, while he has his power, he doesn't really use it much throughout the series because there's a lot of villain of the week type stuff he does in this episode that, like as Sarah said, he's doing the most, and he never does this shit again. Uh, but they get there and only to find, you know, they talk with Hiei for a second and then they just find a bunch of possessed zombie-like humans showing up and Hiei is using the evil eye to control them. Uh, so, you know, Hiei then tries to do this to Yusuke and Yusuke just completely nullifies the effect on himself and the implication can either be read as like, oh, you know, Yusuke's willpower, his spirit energy, or perhaps the weirdness of the wavelength of his spirit energy. Any of these are viable explanations for why this is happening. Do you guys remember if he said any explanation for why it might be happening? Did, did you just take his willpower? I, 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 just, I just assumed that he, he was a spirit detective and he had more spirituality than all the others, because they were all regular guys, right? Yeah, that's That's, that's what possible. I assume, too. I don't remember there being, like, like, someone saying, oh, it's because of this. Yeah, because he was saying, oh, they're just normal humans. 
So I just assumed that, oh, Joe, Joe God damn it. <laughs> Yusuke, uh, Yusuke basically had that spirituality and that awareness, so he didn't have to, I guess he didn't have it, had this cloud that was preventing it. It was like, I, well, he had a wall preventing the... Yeah, he rain. might just be too strong for it, basically. He's too cool. <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah, he can't, it doesn't work. But anyways, let's continue on. So, uh, Yusuke goes to try to punch Hiei, and just, Hiei effortlessly dodges it, because, uh, spoilers, but Hiei turns out to be the speedster of the crew. Um, which is weird, because he's, he actually has, like, a multifaceted arsenal. He's kind of like a Swiss army knife of things, but, uh, he is the fastest guy in the group. And um, maybe the fastest person in the series? I forget, but yeah, we can we can check that out. Like, not currently, but becomes the... Uh, Speaking of superheroes, though, he does kind of turn into the Hulk, though. Yeah? Uh, yeah, when he, when he gets angry, he does turn green. PA smash! Yeah, but, uh, so, basically, it's revealed at this moment that PA used the sword on Keiko, and now she's starting to open up a Jagan or evil eye on her forehead, and when it's fully open, she'll be a demon. And so, uh, Botan, you know, uses her healing power to try to suppress it, uh, from opening, but it turns out, like, one, it's incredibly painful to do so, and so, like, Botan's hand's getting completely fucked up, and two, that if she, like, uses enough spiritual, spirit energy on this, she might just die. Was the time of the day on that, too? Uh, I don't think A day a, or an hour? I, yeah, I don't think I they give us exactly for an hour until it's I, it as, was as soon as possible, man. It was opening really fast, so I'm gonna say that one would have been, like, ten minutes ten if, minutes, like, yeah. yeah, she didn't fucking put her hand out. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, they're they're fighting, and Yusuke is effectively trying to get the hilt of the sword that he is using because it's what contains the antidote to nullify like the growing demon power. How convenient! Yeah, it's. I mean, I think you kind of need that if you have a sword that is so in the in the Japanese version they describe the sword as being made from like a poisonous stone. And, like, honestly, if you have poison weapons and don't carry antidote with you, that's asking for trouble because if you just stick one of your friends, like, you're fucked. Well, I mean, I mean, these are, like, demonized weapons. These aren't, like, human-made, are they? Uh, so... I was confused about. It kind of made it sound like they were just, like, made from the fabric of the universe. Like, these have existed... Like, they're kind of like the fucking Infinity Gems. Yeah, that was really... Because I just assumed, okay, well, demons don't have to worry about it because they're already yokai. What, they can't turn into double yokai? Um, I... Th- I, it's never established what would happen, but they do say that the demons they would turn into are incredibly low class, like in terms of power. Well, yeah, it's like it a downgrade them to. So it, maybe if you got hit by it, it would just make you like effectively a raving idiot. Because I was, I was, because I know in the dub they said low class, but in the 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 subtitle it was like, oh, it will turn them into a yokai. So that's why I'm a bit confused. Because I was thinking, okay, just turn them to a yokai. Because they didn't specify class. Yeah, I, I don't know. know. If that, is that a dub thing, the class system? So the class system becomes a thing later, and it may be that they brought it to an earlier concept in the English version. Mm. Yeah, uh, then, that's why I was confused. Yeah, about. in the Japanese version, class doesn't become a thing until, like, the third saga. Okay, I gotcha. I, I was just a bit confused. I want to make sure I'm not talking out my ass or anything. No, no, no. 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 I mean, you're, you definitely heard right. Yeah. I it's gotcha. just, I think they brought it up earlier in the dub for some reason. I gotcha. Yeah, it's... I think the dub goes out of its way to try to make things more consistent conceptually across the show, but sometimes it flubs up like this, where it makes things more confusing, frankly. But we'll, we'll see. Uh, so anyways, uh, Yusuke suddenly is starting to do a bit better against Hiei, and he mentions, like, oh, you're the kind of human I fucking hate the most, uh, the save-the-day superhero, you're a team player. 
uh, you know, like you get stronger in order to help your friends. You know, basically, like you're an anime protagonist. <laughs> Fuck you. Shown an anime protagonist. Yeah. Reminds me of a, a character in another anime I'm watching, but I won't spoil. But keep going. Oh no worries. But, but yeah, if, if you know if you know what I'm talking about, you probably watched it. So oh. goodbye. So, uh, Yusuke is not faster than Hiei, but has, like, great prediction skills, and this is something kind of emphasized through a lot of the show, like, especially as we get into more of the martial arts, uh, stuff, like, Yusuke's really fucking good at reading people and their moves, like, he routinely beats people faster than him by just, like, responding to, like, large moves in subtle ways, and for instance, like, Hiei's just dodging around him, and then, like, right as he's about to go in for a strike, Yusuke just turns around and gives him a straight right to the fucking face. Uh, so he now transforms into his, uh, I won't say his Hulk-like form, because it is green and he is angry, but he isn't, like, he isn't bulked up. He's just, like, he looks like Hiei, but instead of having one cone of hair, he now has two cones of hair, and, uh, has eyes open up all over his body. I would say that he's hulked up power-wise, yeah. like, spiritually, because, um... It amplifies his own spiritual energy. Also increases Keiko's um, transformation by making the her own evil eye open up even faster. And it hurts Botan more and more to, to close the eye. Uh, but something that's interesting here is, uh, I forget if this was in the US or the Japanese version, but Kurama refers to this as, his tr- as Hiei's true form, which... One, if he means that, means that Chroma actually doesn't know certain things about Hiei's backstory. And two, Hiei never uses this transformation again. So it is very weird to have heard this phrase being used. To be honest, I, I was watching this, uh, uh, I think it was Thursday night, and I kind of fell asleep. I was I, I got home from work, and I was like, okay, I watched a dub. I fell asleep, I woke up like right towards the end, and I was like, oh, what's going on? So I got like, the beginning part, and then, like towards that, I was like, uh... Oh, no worries. But, uh, th- like, he is, like, using telepathic powers he will also never use again, such as, like, bringing Yusuke up, like, psychically, and, like, just... Weird oh, shit. Like, yeah. like, this guy's, like, the Kakuin of this show now. He has this whole, like, arsenal of powers that, you know, could have been really useful. Like, these are, like, powers that I would probably want to use any time... Like, I would get into any sort of fight. It's, it's, I imagine he's probably getting into fights where it's, like, desperation. It's like, wait, why don't you just use this move I used in this episode? So, I think if I want to be really optimistic and very nice to the writing, I would say that part of the reason he never uses this stuff again is because he is a very proud warrior, and there's certain aspects of his quote-unquote true power set that you haven't seen yet um, that he prefers to use over these powers, and part of that is, like, maybe some idea of like a purity uh like a purity ethic that he has like the idea of like no i want to use my shit like instead of this i mean you're gonna find this out later but the evil eye thing is not part of his natural powers and he does it for a very functional reason the writer forgot didn't he uh no uh this one is actually explicitly a choice but like the part that i'm wondering whether it's implied or i'm just pulling shit out of my ass is like the idea of like he prefers to use this one's power set instead of this stuff because, like, one, this isn't natural to him, and two, the part was sung that when he was younger, he was shamed for having, is all I'm going to say. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely roll with it. We'll probably get pick up on that later on. Yeah, I, I, Sarah, does that seem, as someone else who's, like, seen a lot of the show, does that seem at all logically viable? I mean, in retrospect, like, looking to see how he, he behaves later on and how he purchases fights later on in the series... It's definitely a huge difference um, without spoiling anything. 
Um, but I feel like when, I don't know if you brought it up before, he was technically meant to be a one-shot character. Yeah. Um, villain of the week. Um, but then, after his first appearance, he's just so popular that it became a recurring character. So I feel like everything that he's used up to now was just like... Evil powers. Yeah, evil hammy powers. Let him do ever, do everything at once because he's not going to show up again. As opposed to later where they show his anti-hero powers. Yes, he exactly. Never, he never gets hero powers. He definitely gets like full-on like edgy-ass anti-hero powers. Because there are like evil rings of energy that are red. That's an evil person power. Yeah, some Sith shit right there. Yeah, exactly. So I guess that could explain it. He's probably also like high off of power because I just got this sword. I'm going to take over the human world. Let's go. Yeah, this is one of, I, I normally hate headcanon, but I'm just going to make this my headcanon, that the reason he doesn't use his stuff anymore is because of pride of who he is naturally. Um, but, I don't blame him with that sword, though. It's like you get like the good loot. It's like, yes, I'm going to abuse this so much. And yeah. later on, it's like, I don't really need this that much. Yeah. So, uh, basically, uh, Yusuke is about to get fucking stabbed by Hiei, uh, and then Kurama shows up out of nowhere and straight up takes the sword in the torso. Yeah, like, probably, like, the stomach area. Yeah. And, uh, in the English version, he said, like, you know, when Yusuke asked, like, why would you do this? In the English version, he says, I'm alive because of you. Versus in the Japanese where he says, ah, I'm a yokai, I won't die that easily. <laughs> Whoa, that's very two different... He totally did a Jotaro on that sword. I think, I think the, uh, English version actually strikes me as more Kurama-like. The idea of, like, oh yeah, repaying my debt. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is a reflection of the thing you said with his mother, too. Yeah. You know, the idea of, like, oh yeah, I'm so glad you're safe. No, it's not the same thing as well, that's so weird. Like, it, it just seemed like more, like, more of his character, like, oh... Uh, he sacrificed himself for me. I'm gonna do the same thing for him to pay him back. I thought it was actually really touching. Yeah, it's like probably the first thing I like over the dub over the Japanese one. Yeah, no, there's definitely some some highlight spots like that. But uh, the fight continues. Uh, they're doing some straight up like early Dragon Ball stuff of just like jumping around each other and teleporting and shit. Not teleporting, but like getting as close as you can do to teleporting with physical movement. Just like doing acrobatics around each other while punching each other. And, uh, you know, Yusuke's getting the shit beat out of him, and he's about to lose, uh, and, yeah, do you guys want to describe the resolution of this? Uh, yeah, um, essentially, uh, what's written in the notes is that he, Joseph Joe started it, and basically shot the mirror with his pistol. Oh, no, even better than that, he shoots at Hiei, who dodges, because Hiei is way faster than Yusuke. Yeah, and then bounces off and hits him in the back. And, uh, yeah, it was really, I think, uh... It was really interesting. They just basically fell to the ground, and they uh, was able to basically save the day. They got uh, um, uh, Botan was able to close the eye up and uh, get the antidote and give it to. Well, she gave the antidote, and the eye closed up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Karama says, "Like, how did you know that was gonna work?" To yeah. which, uh, like, Yusuke is like, "I didn't know. I just guessed." Like, the idea that it could bounce off of mirrors and stuff. He's like, you fuck up. It's sort of like a recurring theme with Yusuke up to now. Oh, man, it will. He just kind of does things, like, whether it's instinct or just, like, really good guessing or just hoping for the best. Um, He isn't... I think in the dub, he, like, Kramas is like, I thought you were a strategic mind, but you're really just just really lucky. lucky. Yeah. Um, So... At the end of the, you know, the episode's kind of ending, and they're like, oh yeah, happy ending, but then it's revealed by Botan to Yusuke, like, oh yeah, Yama found out, but since they're there, we're not gonna die, but Koenma's gonna get some spankings, and they just 
cut to the spankings. Hence, and it goes for a circle. That's actually the first image I actually saw of that. Of the show back in 2002? I think it was 2001, I remember. I could have sworn I remember it, it, seeing it. It was 2002, my dude. Oh, unless it was preview stuff from, like, maybe, It was on like, Tsunami. I don't know. Did they have Ghost Files? Was that Ghost Files? No, I remember it was specifically Yu Yu Hakusho. Yeah, but, like, they might have showed previews the year before they actually launched the show. Maybe, because I remember I was living in Jersey at the time because I moved after, two, after in September 2001. Mm. I moved from Jersey to Arizona. Yeah, they, they might have showed previews around then. Because yeah, I specifically remember, like, I was at my grandparents' uh, because I used to go to their house after school all the time. We'd watch it. I'd watch, like, you know, Cartoon Network and always see the ads for it. And then. So it was my assumption that that was the case. So, and that, yeah, like I said, that was basically the promo image of him getting spanked by his father. Which I thought was really strange to make the promo image, but I haven't forgot it to this day, so. That Successful. Works. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that was uh, the spate of episodes we're going to be watching for, uh, that we watched this week. Uh, I guess, like, do you guys have some general thoughts about this saga? Like, it sounded, Sarah, like that you were sort of refreshed to see different things in it than you had originally seen. Yeah, because I feel like every time that in the past when I've rewatched the series, I, uh, I skipped this part. Me too. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to watch. I always would start with the arc that's coming up. Um, after this one, just because there's a lot more going on, um, and I already felt like I knew the characters that have been introduced thus far, so I was like, whatever. But, I don't know, actually looking back and watching them, and I also looked through my old manga, too, because I was just kind of curious to see what was different, and there's a lot... There was a more differences than I anticipated, especially when it came to the backstories and just the characterizations of everyone, Karama especially, um, which is interesting. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited for one listeners who you know haven't seen the series before to find out more about these characters uh, in the future, but also Patrick because he hadn't seen it before. I'm curious as more layers of this story onion get peeled off, like. It's not like, oh, this is the deepest, most labyrinthine story behind all, all these characters, but just cool how the characterizations of them sort of make more sense as you find out more about who they are. Yeah, I actually surprised and liked both the, uh, all the episodes. Uh, kind of eh on the, on the first one with Goki, but I thought the rest of them were really good. Do you think it was like a good intro into Yusuke's start yeah. as a spirit detective? Exactly. It was really, really just showed him out of his league in a way. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, he doesn't know shit yet. But, you know, he, he uses instinct and uses his survival skills to continue on. It seems like a really uh, a, a really shonen-type uh, thing, if you think about it. Yeah, it, it Where was they definitely... Where use their wits rather than their powers. Yeah, definitely that was true at the time. Because I think Dragon Ball Z was more like the... Op- like, Dragon Ball Z was kind of the exception. And everything more was like, oh, the crafty guy doing new shit, you know? Yeah, well, there's a lot like that. There's a, a JoJo, the same thing. They use their wits, um, you know... And everything like Shaman, like even Shaman King. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. Oh, so you mean uh, you mean JoJo for kids? Yeah, essentially, basically just using their wits rather than rather than just okay, spirit energy, kill it, and just using their wits to survive. And I really, I really think I like that the most out of animes. I, I can see why people use that trope pretty often. I think I re- did some research into that, um, and I think a lot of it ties into the state that. 
um, Japan was at the time. So around like the late 80s, um, early 90s, Japan went from having like this really big booming economy to the longest recession that they've ever seen. And so in the 90s, that recession was already hitting them hard. So mm. it could reflect more into like the kind of heroes like, they like to see. So instead of like finding comfort in heroes that would overcome obstacles using manpower, they found more comfort in heroes using their wits in circumstances mm. that seem otherwise um, impossible. I can see that, yeah. No, that's, that's an interesting perspective, the idea of like, the society having this, like, hangover from, like, the binge that was the 80s. Yeah. So, like, Atsuko is, like, the embodiment of that. I mean, she would have been, like, in her teens, like, in, like an 80s kid. And 80s kids party hard, especially in Japan. They were, like, you literally, like, renting out limos, going out in the town. There was, like, this whole phenomenon of, like, going on vacations in exotic places and basically living it up because at the time in 80s Japan they were trying to um, I guess compete more on the global market so they were inflating like the value of the yen I believe like real estate was at an all time high there was more um, I guess like also the stock markets were also at an all time high and I guess there was a lot of high priced assets but the actual value of them wasn't meaning up to it. I don't know too much about economics. Basically, it was this huge bubble, and it eventually burst as soon as the late 80s came about. That's really interesting, because that even lines up with the American recession of the 90s as well. Yeah. In that era, so I think maybe it might be sort of a hand-in-hand sort of thing, because I... They were related economies. Yeah. Even though they were competing, they were competing on similar parameters, and, like, Japan's... Uh, had a worse long-lasting effect because they caused some, like, structural issues with the way their economy was structured regarding, uh, as you mentioned, the value of the yen and the idea of, like, the liquidity trap. Mm-hmm. Too much uh, value was kept in cash. And, uh, I mean, look, at, look into liquidity trap. Like, do not take my word for this because, again, not on any, none of us here are economists, but that's actually a really interesting phenomena as to why the U.S. was able to recover better from uh, that like the early 90s recession versus Japan. And it's really interesting. You can see that reflected in their society. I mean, a lot of their stuff was laser discs. Like, everything under the sun. I know it's kind of weird. You mean the 80s, out. like, they had the enough 80s, money like, for laser discs and yeah, no one like, else did? And it's really interesting. Well, like, just in general, this high tech, the, you know, the high quality laser discs, the discs, the high quality setup. I mean, even some of the ridiculous formats, like, uh, they just had an HD, HD laser disc that played in, like, 1080p and, like, like the early 90s and it's really ridiculous that these things were like that like tens of thousands of dollars the fact that like the Super Nintendo in Japan had a satellite service that beamed in narration for Zelda yeah, like that ridiculous. did not get released in the states oh i wonder why yeah i wonder <laughs> but it's i mean it, it it's just an example that there's there's so much money in that and that these things were i mean open like you were saying like they'd go in limo rides and have all these crazy parties I mean, I've never known anybody, even in America, that's not, you know, a millionaire do something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> it, is, uh, it is interesting seeing these episodes in that context, especially while we're still here, very much in a world full of humans. Uh, this will become, the context will still be relevant, but maybe not as directly relevant as we go on, where the world will fill more and more with demons. 
But uh, yeah, good uh, good episode, and uh, I'd like to just thank you for uh, listening to the show. And uh, you know, again, we're the the Yu Yu Show. Tell your friends about us. Maybe give us a review. Your support means all three worlds to us: human, demon, and spirit. So keep on keeping on. Please hit us up with questions, requests, or just to chat on our social media handles linked in the description below. Tune in for the next episode where we'll discuss episodes. I actually recently just uh, reordered what episodes we might watch, so... We'll just have a tune in to find out. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the next couple episodes, I, regardless of what uh, episodes they actually cover, you should watch the entirety of the succession arc that will come up. So that I think that's five or six episodes, but it's the succession arc is what you could call it. Or the Genkai tournament, either or. I gotcha. Well, yeah, it's, I'm definitely excited, whatever it is. I'll, I'll be watching it and I'll let you guys know. Well, you guys know what I think. It's going to be sweet. Sounds good. Well, anyways, thanks again. See you guys later. Later. Bye. Yeah.